Good evening, everybody. Stefan Molyneux, Pinch Punch, third day of the month. Um, so fdrurl.com slash donate. If you would like to help the show out, please, please do. We would love to get the percentage of donors into the low to medium single digits. You know, if we could crack three, nay, let us dare to dream, three and one half percent of people donating 50 cents a show. By God, I would finally be able to get my armpit hair transplanted to my forehead the way that nature intended. So anyway, I hope you're having a great week. I certainly am enjoying the last fading blaze of the Canadian summer. Looks like somebody has taken a uh, cotton candy cannon and fired it at the evening sky. It's a beautiful night out tonight. We've got a, just a little bit of a more of a half moon. And I'm going to roam as I want to do before being closed into the icy boob fist <laughs> free range of the Canadian staff. winter. Yeah, free range death. <laughs> it's, uh, it's about to come to a crashing end. The philosophy is so much better when he can eat the bugs and just doesn't eat grain that's, you know, shuttled into his stall. <laughs> That's right. I like my protein crunchy and primitive. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, it's either a turtle or a cricket, one or one of the two. By the way, Mike, have you ever been close to a snapping turtle? I don't believe I have. And you listen, the, the way to figure out is can you count to 10 using fingers and thumbs? <laughs> either that or I've been involved in a horrible saw accident. But uh, no, I don't think I've been close to a snapping turtle. Uh, yeah, so um, snapping turtle the other day. I'm like, hey, Izzy, let's pick up the turtle. <laughs> Hey, Izzy, let's not pick up the turtle because <laughs> they are fast. I'm just used to all this sort of slow moving, like, um, <laughs> you know, boulder with legs uh, motion. But, man, those snapping turtles, they're like, they're like the cobras of the dinosaur kingdom. At least that's how I explained it to Isabella so that uh, other people can eventually correct all of the horrible misinformation I'm giving to her <laughs> as far as science and biology goes. But, yeah, they are fast. They are some fast we critters. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, do not assume that they're slow. That's that's important. So all right. Uh, anything else we want to talk about before? Uh, I think uh, I think the reason turtles being fast, of course, is why Shredder and Krang are so upset with them. But I think we can move on to the callers at this point. <laughs> why? Who and what? What? <laughs> Shredder I'm dropping and Krang. Teenage, I'm dropping teenage mutant ninja turtle knowledge on you, stuff. That's uh... Okay, Someone Mike, out there Mike, the listenership you know, get it. Your, your use of the word knowledge and my use of the word knowledge. <laughs> may not be exactly a photocopy silhouette. But anyway, trivia. Before I start talking about the Technodrome, we should probably go to callers. But, uh, There's a movie out, right? Uh, yeah. Ninja Apparently Turtle it's movie? ungodly terrible. I didn't go to it because I saw the reviews were like single digits and Wait, quality. Wait, are, are you so. saying it's ungodly terrible relative to people's expectations of a Mutant Ninja Turtle movie? They've all been pretty bad, but I think everyone has hopes. I know I did. You know, hey, maybe my child would, won't be completely uh, raked over the coals. You know, the positive aspects of the cartoon that I remember and everything. But uh, apparently it's terrible. So I'll wait for the DVD. I'm sure I'll still be able to get 90 minutes of women hating out of it, right? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the standard theory as to all of my movie reviews. <laughs> you well, see, someone did they're... spoil it to me. And apparently, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert to everyone. Uh, this may be wrong. I just heard this from somebody. But apparently the four Ninja Turtles are unable to take down Shredder. But at the end, there is a female character who I, I don't even know who it is that is able to take him down in some way, shape, or form, even though she's not trained. That could be completely wrong, but someone told me that, and I kind of chuckled. So. Yeah, I, I assume that they're armored ovaries and somehow parasitical upon virtuous men, as usual. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll be working on this. 
as we move forward. All right, enough of our rambles. Um, who do we have on first? All right, Paul is up first. And Paul wrote in and said, At one point in my life, I had the will and drive to achieve, but I've since lost it. I don't think it's a problem with procrastination, but more of a question about why I should even bother doing anything. Hmm. I want to do great things in my life, but I don't know why I should. Do you have suggestions? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. All mm-hmm. right. What are the great things you want to do? Well, um, at this point in my life, I really don't know. <laughs> okay. But so the thing is, sound, yeah, that doesn't sound like a recipe for disaster at all. I want to do great things. No. What are they? Uh, no. Okay, I don't know. but I, but I'm you, sure you know, as I'm a, sure going to succeed at them. Yeah. As a child, back in the day, I had ambitions to be a scientist, mostly. That was my idea of achieving success. I wanted to be a scientist, um, mainly uh, um, in the field of physics or biology or something like that. But science was always my thing. I felt this kind of draw towards the scientific field. Oh, that, sorry. I thought you were about to say something else. All right. And what ha- happened to that dream? Well... I would say in the following years of my life, I learned that no matter what I do and no matter how hard I work at something, I'll never achieve a level of satisfaction where I could say I'm happy now. And Wait, hang on. <laughs> yeah? Are you, are you trying to okay. tell me that you wanted to achieve greatness and you thought that you'd be satisfied with something you achieved? Exactly. That's not how greatness works, right? You know that. Greatness doesn't no, work don't. at all with satisfaction. Greatness arises out of extreme dissatisfaction. And uh, the, the greater you are, the more dissatisfied you are with what is. So satisfaction and greatness are antithetical. The, the moment somebody is satisfied, uh, they mm-hmm. have failed in the pursuit of greatness. Now, this doesn't mean that you... If you wish to pursue greatness, you can never be satisfied in your life. You know, like I, I write a book. I'm happy with it. I'm satisfied with it, but I'm dissatisfied all the way through it. I'm satisfied that I can't do any better, at least in the time frame or with the skills that I have. And then I sort of move on to something else. But uh, the idea that there's any kind of permanent satisfaction in the uh, pursuit of greatness, I think, is um, not the case. I mean, so, so, so I mean, just look at like so. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but okay. so Socrates, um, was he satisfied or dissatisfied with the quality of people's thinking in ancient Athens? Well, he was obviously dissatisfied, otherwise he wouldn't have done his works. <laughs> right, so it's extreme dissatisfaction. And the greater the level of correction, the greater the dissatisfaction with the existing world. Am I happy with the way that, am I satisfied with the way people treat their children in the world? Well, of, of course not. <laughs> Right. And and the degree to which I wish things to change is the degree to which I am dissatisfied with the current state of humanity. I mean, were people satisfied with slavery? No. Hell to the no. Were they satisfied with mercantilism? No. Were they satisfied with empire? No. Were they satisfied with the medieval guild protections, uh, the lack of free trade, the lack of social mobility? No, no, no. Um, so uh, everyone who tells you to be content is telling you to sink like a stunned viper into the squalid moral soup of the present. 
And uh, so the fact that you wanted to achieve great things or want to achieve great things and you have trouble being satisfied, like I am going to die. I, I could live for another 50 years. And I tell you, Paul, I am going to die incredibly dissatisfied with the way that people treat their children. Mm-hmm. Well, so um, in your opinion, what is the way to achieve happiness if it is not being, you know, um, uh, man, my English is failing me hard right now. Uh, um, so what is the way to achieve happiness if it is not derived from essentially uh, being, you know, uh, being satisfied with your own actions and what you do, essentially your effect on the world? Well, no, I didn't say my effect on the world, although obviously since I'm going to die dissatisfied with the way people treat their children, I'm not going to eliminate spanking through my actions, obviously, right? But um, the best way to achieve happiness um, is, uh, is through combat, I would argue. Uh, through, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's no end of evils in the world and evil people in the world with against whom to match your wits and your intelligence and your ferocity and your creativity and your virtue. And, I mean, I come from old warrior genes, both on my British, uh, uh, well, Irish, and my German side. And um, I take uh, happiness, I think, as Nietzsche has explained quite well, uh, I take happiness, I take great joy in uh, in combating evil. Now, is that satisfying? Sure is. Sure is to, to do harm to the interests of evil people and to help the interests of good people uh, is, is satisfying. But it, the satisfaction never lasts because there's always more evil coming into the world than is going out of it, right? Because so many people are being born into dysfunctional, hyper-religious, hyper-statist households. So um, for me... And I think I think more than just you know we, we we want contentment and we want peace and ease. You know, like why on earth would Brad Pitt? I mean, think about it. Why why would Brad Pitt make another movie? He doesn't need the money. I mean, he he could spend the rest of his life uh, doing sit-ups uh, at Cocoa Beach or something, right? And or being home with his kids or whatever. But but he's he's doing it. And uh, so is his wife, and, and so all the other Jack Nicholson is still doing movies. The guy's worth Lord knows how much. And so there is, uh, we, we have within us a desire for peace and for contentment and for relaxation and for resting the salty wounds of pitched battle. But we also need. I believe, uh, resistance. Uh, we, we need uh, – virtue is like a muscle. It needs resistance in order to strengthen. Mm -hmm. And I have generally found in my life and uh, in the lives of the people I know who have the greatest satisfaction – and satisfaction is a little bit different from contentment. Uh, contentment usually is uh, <laughs> the solve of cowardice and satisfaction is um, – you know, when you go hilt deep into the heart of an evil idea, uh, there is great satisfaction in <laughs> having it squirm and, and uh, twist and, and uh, you know, with any luck, uh, expire from the minds of the planet. So 
we do have a desire for ease and rest, but we are like all animals, like all living beings, uh, we strive to conquer, we strive to win, we strive to expand, we strive for control and mastery over our environment. And the moment we have mastered our environment, we strive for a new and expanded environment with which to master. And a lot of people who have really difficult childhoods and people who have harsh, embattled, stressful, difficult childhoods, they feel an aversion to combat because their childhood was combat. And so they, they kind of wish to, to shy away from that. But uh, in many ways, yeah. so let me just finish and then I'll, I'll be quiet. Yeah, but, sure. but in many ways, who is better trained for moral combat than victims of child abuse? I mean, who, who else is like, who, for, in particular, who else is going to stand up for victims of abuse other than those who know what it's like? I mean, sure as shit, the general population isn't going to do it. And we've been waiting for thousands of years for the general population to stand up and shield the victims of child abuse. It's not going to come from them. It's uh, going to come from us. Uh, we are the ones who are going to end up standing up for the victims of child abuse and standing tall and firm against the abusers, whatever the cost. And what better training do you have for a life of moral combat than surviving evil and abusive caregivers uh, as a child? Anyway, you were going to say, please go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, when you said people that have been abused shy away from combat, this is a thing that has been going through my mind in the last few weeks. You know, I, I waited like a month for this call. A lot can happen in a month. So, I mean, this is one of these um, thoughts that I also had. The thing is this, I kind of feel like I should be essentially fighting to better the world and that is also what i wanted to do when i was like a little child i always um aspired to better the world in some way shape or form and my idea was i could do it through the pursuit of science and be be the person who could um you know cure some disease or um make life for people so much easier i do that i do one of these things but i feel today that no matter what I do, um, at a basic level, the world is still sick. I, it doesn't matter what I do in a way. And when you said people that are um, victims of child abuse, essentially, yeah, um, I have problems with that. Because at some point, I feel that my childhood was really, really bad. Yeah. Then, but then at another point, I'm like, no, it's not actually, you know, I, I don't know how I should look at the events that happened in my past and how severe they actually are. And I mean, it is strange because I know that some of the things that happened back in my early childhood influenced my actions today quite a bit, but I feel like they actually shouldn't. Can you understand that in any way, shape, or form? I think that you're raising a whole bunch of uh, noise, if you don't mind me saying so. I think you're raising a whole bunch of noise to avoid the basic issues. Okay, so what are the basic issues you think? I don't know if you know the old Bob Dylan song. 
You've got to serve uh, somebody. Got to no. serve somebody. I won't sing it, but uh, it says, You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You are going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. You may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. And the song goes on. I think Mavis Staples is a great version of this. But, uh, yeah, we do. We, we have to serve. And there is a line right down the middle of the world, and there's a virtuous side, and there's an evil side. And the reason that I'm saying you're making a lot of noise to avoid the basic issue is that part of you wants to fight evil and part of you wants to give up, right? Mm-hmm. So, the part of you that wants to fight evil is the virtuous part, and the part of you that wants to give up is the part that wishes to serve evil. Right? Because if you give up, well, then evil wins, right? The only thing that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Right. Huh. I think it's actually even a bit worse than that because a part All right. of me is say, <laughs> then I'm willing no, to hear how it's if, worse than that. Yeah, a part of me is actually saying, like the old saying goes, "If you can't beat them, join them." Oh yeah, that no, is, of course, of course. I mean, I, 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 I will tell you. Can I tell you something, Paul? Just between you and me. Sure. Sometimes, not often, but sometimes. I would not mind a call from the Bilderbergers. <laughs> I would not mind a call from the New World Order. Come on, I've got lots of skills. Listen to me preach, listen to my verbal skills, listen to my intelligence, listen to my metaphors. Oh, come on, Darth Vader, pick up the phone. I bring my own two Death Stars swinging like castanets between my Julius Caesar-style thighs. Um, yeah, there, of course there is that temptation. Of course there is that temptation. Evil has the upper hand, right? Evil had the upper hand in your childhood, right? I've read your adverse childhood experience. Well, the Evil has is... the upper hand, and evil makes a shit ton of money. So, Evil gets the girls. Evil gets the money. Evil gets the power. Evil kind of runs the world at the moment, right? Less so than in the past, but only because we've got the drug of fiat currency and all that kind of stuff to take away the immediate pain of domination. But, uh, oh, yeah, no, I get it. If you can't beat them, join them. Oh, yeah, you don't think it's uh, crossed my mind from time to time? Oh, yeah, no, I, I'd like to get that red phone installed and wait for the call from the powers that be and say, uh, yeah, you know, I, uh, I think I get it. I think I get where you guys are coming from because uh, sometimes it feels like it's just a feeling and it's just a temptation. But I will tell you, Paul. Isn't it hard to look at humanity sometimes and not just think, what are you people fit for except being ruled? Exactly. There why should you have, why should you have any day. freedom? 
Yeah. Great men and women fought and bled and thought and died to give you freedoms that you are willing to turn in for your fucking food stamps. For a little welfare check. For a big screen TV. I mean, what is humanity fit for except being ruled? On what possible grounds should we fight and bleed and die for people who simply will clamor for another master? Who, if you give them an inch of freedom, strike at you like vipers. Who, if you give them an ounce of responsibility, call you a man-hater and a woman-hater and all the terrible words at their command. Here, here's a little responsibility. And then their their shoulders turn into vipers that strike at you. Because all they say is, oh, yes, I'm a big adult. I want responsibility. I want to vote. No, they don't want to vote. They don't want to vote. They, they, They want to be flattered by politicians. They don't want to vote and actually have responsibility. They want to exchange their freedom for free stuff. I mean, the devil walks the world in the shape of a flag. And people get so little for their souls, it's pitiful. Oh, you could have freedom, you could have responsibility. No, no, I want flattery. And I want a government contract. I want union protection. I want to be a professor. I mean, what are they fit for? Except being ruled. Look at everything they give up. That generations of heroes and heroines fought and died to provide them. And they give it up for nothing. For whoever gets to call them the chosen people and God's people and the indispensable nation. And heroes for being born in a square squirt of sanctified dirt. What are they willing to fight for? What are they willing to defy anything for? Fight the state. People can't even take a walk after dinner. (laughs) third of Canadians don't follow their doctor's orders. Even if they have things like diabetes, where failing to follow your doctor's orders causes amputation, blindness, and death. So I I get it. I understand the degree to which sometimes we look at the current clay of humanity and say, how on earth are we supposed to build the cathedrals of the future on the soft and buttery, soulless clay of the present? Where people will rush to look at nude pictures of Jennifer Lawrence and studiously avoid philosophy because it is the curse of their very existence that they know deep down their current identities cannot survive. So I understand. Uh, I understand the temptation. I mean, the only way I avoid it is to look to the future rather than the present, but that's perhaps a story for another time. Does that, does that help at all? Yeah, that just that illustrates my point of view very well. This is probably one of the two main reasons why I every time I'm like, okay, and now I'm going to take my life in my own hands again, and now I'm going to achieve, and now I'm going to make the start. Then after a while, it always comes back to this. What are you doing this for? Because it's like, you know, pearls before the swines. Mm-hmm. 
Oh exactly. yeah, no, I get it. That. Yeah, I get it. Listen, go to any of my videos, and uh, I don't do this. <laughs> I haven't done it for a while, but just go to my videos and scroll down the YouTube comments. No, I, I haven't actually read the comments on any of your videos. No, listen, watch just quite give a few it a shot. Now. Do you know what it's like? It's like a beautiful orchestra playing. No, and I have shoveling as people shoveling as many beans into their mouth as they can, so they can fart along with the orchestra and think that they're adding to the music. I have only read the comments on your, um, like the the one that was published today. What was called, that called? The antidote for cruelty, mm. and like the the people commenting there, it's absolutely horrifying. Like they're calling, like what was his name, Attila? He was. I mean, when I heard that, I was like devastated, and they're calling him like a um, a serial killer in the making or something like that. And my God, I mean, the hell. I mean, it's not quite about, you know, the issues that we just talked about, but I can't Well, of imagine. course, I mean, and, and that level of verbal abuse is merely the projection of their own murderous impulses onto other people, right? This well, guy has the courage to talk about some very dark stuff in his history, and I think he had some real emotional connection at the end. But, uh, no, this is, this is a planet that worships football. This is a planet that worships tanks. This is a planet that worships bits of cloth. This is a planet that worships ghosts, murderous ghosts. And basically, the vampires come along and say, here, I'm going to give you four pieces of penny candy in return for all the blood in your jugular. And people are like, four? Shit, that's more than I was expecting. Here you go. So, and yeah. that is uh, that's that's the planet. That's that's where things are. People uh, cheer politicians who praise and flatter them with empty platitudes, and then when anyone comes along and offers them the truth, they bark and snarl and slash and attack and make ridiculous noises with their breathing holes, and think that they're doing something that has any intellectual content or weight whatsoever. It's what. Nietzsche wrote about uh, is, is the great horror of attempting to improve the moral lot of mankind is what he calls the nausea. It, it's the nausea of waking up to what you think is a rave and it's just a bunch of zombies propped together without even the brains to look for brains. And uh, it is something that has taken down a lot of good men and good women, hardworking men and hardworking women. It's seeing just this relentless parade of predatory idiocy known as the current human condition and wishing to recoil from it. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a challenge. I, I accept that. I, I recognize that as the primary occupational hazard of the thinker is revulsion against the bald apes around so uh, there's another thing I wanted to talk about, like also related to my problem, of course. And that is, um, it is not only that I see, essentially, that I have this problem where I see the world as basically unsavable sometimes. But the thing is also this, every time I do another try and I try to to get myself essentially into the ring again to fight for 
the good of the world, but I would say, um, is that I can't really do it because I feel that I would move on from something that isn't resolved yet. And the, um, the actual thought that crosses my mind every single time is there's so many people that have harmed me and they go unchecked. I can't let that happen. And that is what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? They, what do you mean? They go unchecked. Well, I'm not disagreeing think, with you. I just want to make sure. Okay, okay. Just uh, okay. I have to be perfectly honest here. I'll say it how I how it crosses my mind. It is this: there's so many people that have done me wrong. They still need to suffer. This is like it. It is. It is, has a lot to do with um, aggressions that I've built up over the years, and. Um, I I don't know how I should describe this thought process. Well, I it mean, it's vengeance, of, isn't it? It is. It is yeah, essentially revenge. vengeance. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, look, I mean, if you get stung by a wasp, do you spend a year or two hunting through the woods looking for it? Well, probably not. So you can no. crush it? Right. Right. And this, I mean, I, I'm not particularly tempted by the concept of vengeance because it's well, an insult. on a rational it's an, level. No, it's, no, it's, I, an insult to, it's an insult to my capacities to hunt for worms, right? Well, of course, but on a rational level, I'm completely aware that this is, first of all, um, it doesn't solve anything. It's also immoral. It is. Um, oh, no, I didn't say. I didn't say it's immoral. <laughs> I didn't say well, it's immoral. I think, well, the thing is, I, for myself, I think it is. Yeah. Why? Why is revenge immoral? Yeah, because I would wish upon them things that would be completely out of proportion with. Pff, this is just essentially. But you're talking about wait. You're talking about child abuse, right? Uh, no. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. So, what is it that you wish? that is out of proportion to years of beating up a child. Well, beating up... Hmm. Well, yeah. The thing is this. Um, it is not only... The thing is... Oh, God, how should I explain this? I, uh, the people that, that anger me the most are, strangely enough, not my parents. For some reason, I am not able to feel that angry about my parents. The, the people that anger me the most are the people that I met essentially in the public education system and it's not even the other students. It is how – what angers me the most is how unprofessional the teachers were and how completely inappropriate they acted. And the reaction I essentially have to – Yeah, but tell me, tell me what in specific – I want to understand. That's very abstract. Yeah, yeah. I'm what getting specific? to that. Well, get to it now because – so what, really in specific, what in specific did, do I wish on them, or what in specific did they no, do No, what me? was unprofessional that they did? What was, what was so bad that they did? I'm not disagreeing with you again. I'm not being skeptical. I really want to know, but I want to make sure I know in specifics. Um, the thing is this. Uh, I have a neurological disorder that causes me to tick sometimes, yeah? Um, Sorry, it causes you to tick. You mean have facial tics? Tick. Dyskinesia um, kind of thing? It is not, I don't know, it's not diagnosed as any specific syndrome, but it's, um, I make strange sounds, pretty much. I, I can't really describe them. It's like some yelping, mm -hmm. 
yeah. And um, the thing is this, I would probably, um, I would repeatedly for this and for other reasons be, um, you know, the, the teachers would um, essentially claim that I would disturb them and would disturb everybody in the room and then um, they they would have me... Um, you know, write essays and stuff about how you don't do that and, um, in general, just be nasty. Like, yeah, so basically their argument was that your epilepsy is rude, right? I No, it's not epilepsy, but that's mm-hmm. similar, right? Involuntary um, yes. motor reaction. And, and also, right? the thing is this, um, I am like, the, you know, the, we all know that the public school system isn't very friendly towards people that are critical of the school system or the state system in general the thing is even when i just entered like higher education in my country you go four years of school then you go four years of a higher school and then um four years of the same or a technical school and when i entered the higher education school i even by that time i identified as an anarchist yeah this was um just my own uh you know evaluation of the world around me and um so the thing was, um, I was also very verbal about that. I would, if if someone would actually ask me about it, we've happened like two or three times, yeah, in this school, uh, in my school career, then I would actually defend my position. They don't take very kindly to that. And um, the thing is, knowing that I don't necessarily agree with their positions on everything. And the state and the school system, they um, found it fit to pick on me and um, have me essentially do extra work for my grades. And which days, luckily they never could really hurt me there because I'm exceptionally good. I was exceptionally good in school, but the thing is this, I was in this complete and that is state of alert the whole time because I was sure that everybody was out to get me and that was probably the truth mm-hmm. and the thing is this behavior is so alien to me yeah my everybody that I talked to um, kept telling me no this is only normal that is how people act and um, I should just be st- I should rise above it that was the main the main thing that was told to me I should rise above people essentially being um, unprofessional and being out for me and um, essentially trying to ruin my future that was how it was presented to me back there because my parents were very um, behind the idea that I should get a higher education and everything because it was the, it was their opinion that if you're not educated, you will essentially fail in life. And so what I was led to believe pretty much is that if these people ruin my academic career, then my life will be ruined. Yeah. And um, so the aggression that I have towards them is essentially I want to ruin their life as they ruined mine. This if, being the teachers? The teachers, yes. Right. And was it mostly the mockery that uh, was the issue? Well, m- mockery, um, I dealt with mockery pretty much um, in the beginning, yeah. I had a real problem with mockery because in the first four years of school, um, in the basic school, so to speak, you 
uh, there were there were not a lot of problems with the teacher. I can only remember one um, occasion where the teacher accused me of something I didn't do and wouldn't back wouldn't back down. And this, I, I had a good relationship to pretty much all of the students in my class, and so it was that much more of a shock when I entered the higher education school, um, where people were just essentially nasty without reason. It is. I I was not aware that people were capable of this. I mean, it's because I would never, yeah, go up to someone in and in my mind already have determined that I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on this guy. I'm gonna you know call him names. I'm gonna uh, make his day uh, as bad as possible just for my personal amusement because there is no amusement for me to be derived from this. Right. I'm just, I was like, um, I felt and I do feel until today that I was not prepared for this world in any way, shape or form. I, it was just essentially um, a real culture shock, pretty much. Right. And you're saying this was true, more true in higher education? This was more true in higher education, yes. Hmm. Right. So... Right. This is the one thing. The other thing is, um, uh, I have to tell you, I'm sorry if I'm going to talk for a while, but I have to tell you to understand this about how my how this whole school thing generally went. So the thing is this, for, at this point, yeah, I'm seven years out of school. No, ten years actually. Wait, right? at this point, you mean at this point in your life now, right now? Yeah, I'm 25 right now. I, um, the thing is, um, I prematurely ended school. Then I, um, I, uh, worked in the IT field for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, from then on out, I did nothing until now. That's more than seven years. Yeah. What do you mean you did nothing? Nothing. Uh, I mean, no education, no employment, no, um, pretty much that. Yeah. Um, what do you mean? I mean, how do, how do, how do you live? How do you live? I live um, essentially uh, on disability. Because, but you don't need the disability, right? I, the thing is this, at the point where I, at the point where everything broke down pretty much, it was the only way. There was no way I would have um, carried on. I would not be alive today if I was not on disability. What do you because mean? I would have killed myself. I would have killed myself. As easy as that. Yeah. Why would you have killed so, yourself? Because of the cruelty of the people around? I, I came out of school and I was like, okay, this is a new beginning. This is where I can finally uh, I can put all this behind me. It doesn't matter anymore. And I will I will enter the work uh, place in a way. Yeah. It's finally over pretty much. And then I the workplace as uh, you know, uh, I don't know what you would call this. It's essentially an IT profession. Right? And yeah. um, so I was on apprenticeship for a few years and um, the same thing started to happen again because I was in a small, it's a startup company uh, with me and two other people. And uh, it was the company owner and one of his friends essentially that uh, made this all. They, they did system maintenance for 
um, mostly uh, like yeah, don't, graphic, don't, 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 no, no, don't, don't yeah. get into, don't yeah, get into the business yeah. details. Okay. That's not so, the important part. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. Okay. So what the what the problem was essentially is that one of these uh, bosses um, started the whole process again by essentially um, every time he could uh, find the opportunity, he would um, essentially take the chance and uh, make it see uh, how should I describe this? He essentially um, okay, I'll uh, God for damn it now. My English is failing me again. Um, so what he would do is he would um, essentially – I think he had a problem with um, his own maturity essentially because he tried okay, – dude, dude, every what t- I'm sorry. What, give, me, give me the specifics. What happened? Don't keep describing it to me like an abstract <sighs> thing. What happened? I don't know. It is really – it is for some reason really hard to tell you this stuff. Because know. it's emotional, right? It's it's an yeah. emotional topic, so right. That's but that's what I want. I mean, this description stuff. I I can read that somewhere on a blog, right? We're having a okay, conversation. Okay, yeah. I need to you to bring they, who you are. It right? is it is really hard to tell you this stuff, and I yeah. Okay. You don't have so to tell me anything. What he essentially did necessary. Okay, I'll I'll give you the situation. Um, it is this: he uh, recently had a daughter with his uh, to be wife, and um, so. What he did is um, he made uh, some kind of ridiculous rules and uh, st- uh, that I had to follow around the uh, company. Like he had some kind of standard that the coffee machine uh, needs to be refilled with fresh water every uh, so-and-so hours. And if I didn't do that, then he, uh, what he would essentially do is he would um, – uh, call me out on it, and he would say, um, I, "I guess you're not used to doing this. I guess your mom does that for you at home." And he would uh, bring these things up all the time. Like everything that I did wrong was somehow related to me uh, not being mature enough. And um, there came the time when I couldn't take that anymore. Right. So this is like – and then um, one, I actually uh, – when he you – know, so how, how should I go from here? The thing is the Look, situation – Help me, help I me have understand be, why – no, hang on, hang mm-hmm. on. Help me understand why is it that you're telling me all this stuff in such detail? And I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not interesting or anything, but this is a philosophical show, right? So I'm trying to sort of figure out what – What? What principle? So, so this guy was making fun of you at work, mm-hmm. and then you basically you left that job, right? Um, the thing is, I stopped going to work at one day, and then I was actually in psychiatric, um, you know, in the in the psychiatry for um, some time, and then. So you were hang on. So you were you stopped going to work, and then you were institutionalized, right? Um, I. I, I wasn't institutionalized, but I essentially I admitted myself. Yeah. So um, you admitted yourself because you felt that you were going crazy. Is that right? I felt that I would not be able to um, to 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 do this anymore. Yes, I felt I was going to do crazy. what to do what anymore. To to stand up in the morning and and 
do anything pretty much. It was this one, the experience that I had was pretty much one day I woke up and the prospect of going to work at that day was so horrible that I, I was just, uh, I was just, I said, this is it, I'm just going to lie here. I'm, I'm not going to go. But why, why not get another job? Um, I didn't feel that I was able to. I don't understand. You, you, you've got feelings, but you have thoughts too, right? We all have feelings, right? But you reason with your feelings, right? Rationally, you know it's possible to get another job, right? Yeah, the thing is this, however, um, at this point in time, I was still uh, living in the same house as my parents. And the thing is, if I had decided to get another job, they would have made my life a living hell. I would not have been able to get through that by just... Why would... Sorry, why, why... Why were you still living with your parents if you had a job and you were an adult? It was an apprenticeship. Yeah, okay, but you were being paid, right? Yeah, right. I was being paid. I mean, listen, I've been on my own since I was 15 years old, right? So it, you, you certainly had it better than I was when I was 15 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of my question is, is why, why were you still living at home if, if living at home was very – Difficult for you, and I certainly sympathize with that. Um, uh, why were you living this, at home if you had a job? And you, you hated living at home, I assume, right? To be honest, I don't know. I really don't know why I did this. Did what? Why I, um, I stayed home as long as I did. I, okay. I, I, I have no idea. I can't tell you. Because um, the thing is this. Um, the whole... Uh, involvement of my parents in the problems that I'm experiencing today is a thing that just came to mind recently. It's not that I actually um, um, I actually thought for the longest time that my parents were doing everything um, pretty much top notch. That was what I was thinking. Uh, okay, so so, so if I hang and, on, so, and the thing is, so, it is on, so hang recent. Hang on, yeah. hang on, hang on. Okay, so. The fact that you were kind of spiraling out of control mentally while working at this job mm-hmm. uh, for – I assume you were there for a couple of years and feeling like you were being abused and bullied or mocked or humiliated at work. Mm-hmm. Did your parents help you with that issue? Did they talk about it with you? Did they help you to find options? Did they yeah. – whatever, right? Did they coach you? Did they right? – No, they did not. They actually acted like I'm creating the problem by not submitting to other people's um, tyranny essentially. And this is the – well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Listen, you've got to be careful about the language that you use. I mean, mm-hmm. tyranny is a pretty powerful word and that is, for a boss, uh, right? That is pretty much how I experienced that. I did not. No, no, no. That, don't right? give me. Don't give me how you experience stuff. Okay. No, listen. I mean, <laughs> that's like saying, "Well, my experience is that I hate Jews." It's like, but that doesn't mean that Jews are hate-worthy, right? Just of course you experience it that way. But if you use words like tyranny to describe people who aren't, say, Stalin, yeah. then you're, you're creating a whole world, a whole matrix for yourself, right? Yeah, I'm, so I'm let's say, let's say that, I'm doing that. But, yeah, let's say that your, your boss was a jerk. Let's say he was mean. Let's say he was not empathetic. Let's say he was cruel, right? You had a bad boss. And that sucks. You had a bad boss, and that sucks. And guess what? Most times, you will have a bad boss unless you work really hard and you're about 30. 
Because good bosses are not put in charge of people out of school, right? Really good bosses are in charge of like the division or some big company or some big concern or whatever, right? Like you don't get to work for Jack Welch out of college, right? I mean you, you have to run the gauntlet of bad bosses in order to get to the good bosses because all the good bosses get promoted really quickly, right? And they don't end up dealing with new hires at all, right? So you had a bad boss, and I look, I sympathize with that, and that's a tough situation to be in. But if you start using words like tyranny, you are not giving yourself any room for choice or maneuvering. Like now you're in an absolutist state, right? Yeah, that is pretty much how I thought this worked. I know. I didn't look, think that I had are, any choice. Listen, there are people who are real victims of tyranny. Right, like the Cambodians who were forced out of the country, out of the cities into the countryside and starved to death, like the millions of people currently enslaved in North Korea, like the people who were in the Gulag Archipelago, uh, like the people who were in concentration camps. Those people are the real victims of tyranny, right? And and I mean, nothing but sympathy, right? Very very horrible, difficult, life-threatening situation, right? That's tyranny. You had a bad boss. Yeah, you had a bad boss, and it bothers me. It bothers me that you're trying to hook into the sympathy that we have for victims of tyranny to describe you having a bad boss. Okay, okay. I'll take it back if you. uh, I understand. No, it's not. No, I understand. I understand. I I understand why. I understand why that is inappropriate. It's. Yeah. Okay, so then you left the workplace and you went uh, into the institution and then you, you're on disability, right? Mm-hmm. That is what happened. Okay. No, no, no. That's not what happened, right? Some, some of these, to some degree, are choices, right? Yeah, well, that's the choices I made then. Yes, okay. All right. And what are your plans for um, getting off disability? Do you have any? Oh, I don't. That is exactly the problem why I'm calling in. I I don't feel fit to do this. To do what? To essentially get off disability, get essentially take up the fight again. Okay, so then you can stay on disability, right? But uh, the thing is this, I don't want to. It's Why not? Because... I feel that it's inappropriate. Why is it inappropriate? Because I feel I should be able to do it. And what's your living situation at the moment? Like what? Where, where do you live? Do you uh, live alone? Do you live with your parents? Um, I live alone, but the uh, property, like the house is still owned by my parents. That's also a thing that's bothering me. Um Wait, so you don't really pay much rent or any rent? Or? No, I don't really pay much rent. Right. Right. And so what's uh, what's inappropriate about, about receiving disability? Well, the thing is, I, I don't feel that I'm deserving of it. I, why is that? Huh, why is that? Why is that? 
Well, the thing is, huh? Well, I don't really know. Okay, but if you had to guess, what would you say? Hmm. If I had to guess, then I would say... You've had seven years years to think about disability, right? Yeah, of course. Um, The thing is this, I... At some level, I still think that the problem is in my head and there's no excuse for not conquering this. Well, okay, but what steps have you been taking to conquer this, I guess, anxiety or fear? Um, I've been in therapy... um, for two years, but the the therapist was not really. I, I don't think the therapist was really um, connecting with me at any level. Then and you didn't want to change therapists. I changed therapists um, two times, but one therapist told me outright that he is not um, specialized in this. Essentially, he didn't feel. Uh, fit to take on this case for whatever reason. Um, then, then I had another scientist that was not, you know, I wait another connect. scientist or another therapist. Uh, sorry, I, uh, I. No, no I, problem. I, I just wanted to make sure. So, and you had another therapist, and what did the other therapist say? Um, the other therapist, I, I could also not connect with that one. It's pretty much uh, the feeling that I have when I'm talking to therapists is essentially. Um, we're going to just fix you up so that you can uh, work for another year before you break down completely. And mm-hmm. that is also, I was in therapy before this. Um, like uh, my, my parents sent me to uh, different kinds of psychologists. And this is always the feeling I get. We're just going to fix him up so that he's going to function for another time, for another year, for another month or something. And I assume that these are government-sponsored uh, therapists? Um, no, one of them I actually paid myself for. Well, through disability, right? Yeah. So the I mean, government you, you, you haven't that. you haven't paid for anything yourself since you were on disability, I assume, right? Well, I paid him actually with the money that I got from the apprenticeship. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. So this is kind of the general vibe that I get there that they. Just it is not about me, yeah, being, uh, you know, about me feeling better about myself and about life in general. It's more about how do we get him to function. Okay, and what work did you do outside of the therapist's office to try and deal with these issues? <sighs> I don't you know, know. You're not, don't you're, not overly, you're not overly burdened with a job or a career, of course, right? Yeah, I assume I'm you not. don't have a lot of expensive hobbies. So what work have you been doing outside of going to therapy, which you say hasn't been working? What work have you been doing outside of that to try and uh, change your situation, to, to try and figure out what's been going on for you? Huh. I, I don't know what I should have been doing. I don't think I did anything. Well, no, no. You have – hang on, hang on, hang on. You must have some idea, right? So to to some degree, your problem has to do with a terrible childhood, which I hugely sympathize with. But it has something to do with the way that you think about things, right? 
Uh, so, uh, since you say or you you talk about having uh, problems with perspective, right? Problems with the way you think about things, then the pursuit of self knowledge would be good. So you can you know you can read up on psychology. You can do you can do workbooks. You can examine your own thinking. You can look at uh, um, you can study what the therapist is doing, and and try and figure out. How that works, uh, you could uh, keep a dream journal, you could you know write down thoughts and ideas, you could try and sort of figure out when you first had these negative thoughts and where they came from and right there's there's so much that can be done like I mean when I was doing therapy, I was doing therapy for three hours a week, but I was doing twelve to fifteen hours of work outside of therapy while having a full time job as a software entrepreneur in order to uh, Pursue things, right? I mean, when you go to the gym, the trainer says, do this, do that. But that's not your workout. That's just your guidance. Mm-hmm. Then you actually have to go and work out and do that stuff, right? Yeah, well, the thing is this. I've always been thinking about, you know, why am I in this situation? What led up to be me being in this situation and trying to figure that out? But I don't know. If I do, I have to keep a journal for this to count as being productive work on myself. Well, I, no, but Paul, did it work? No, it did not. Okay, so when things don't work, what do you do? You know, you don't just stand there at a restaurant pulling at the door when it says push, right? You, you pull and you say, this, "Oh, it doesn't open," uh, right? The thing is, I don't know what else to do. I'm I'm not sure what you mean. You mean you've studied a lot of psychology now? You're uh, quite an expert on self knowledge. You've, I mean, I'm not sure what you mean when you say when, what else, what else to do. No, but uh, the thing is this: it's like, um, you know, I've tried to find the reasons for my actions. I have, um, I have, in fact, uh, read up on psychology. And dude, I just asked you. I asked you a bunch of questions, and you said you don't know. I don't think you have done a huge, you know, with all due respect, well, you know, yeah, I've yeah, got to be okay. blunt, right? I don't it, think it you've done okay. a huge amount of work. I think you yeah, may have sort of mulled it over, but I mean, you use the word something like a, a tyranny to talk about a bad boss, and then you say, well, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the issues are, and, and it doesn't seem to me that you've even cottoned on to the degree to which your experience is shaped by the language that you use to describe that experience. Oh, God. And it's good news, I think, because if you had done everything and nothing had changed, you'd be mm-hmm. kind of screwed, right? Uh, I'm sorry. I just one second. No, tell, tell me what you're feeling, because I mean, no, it, I'm, it I'm, is it is just this. Um, I, I know you didn't mean it, but for some reason, I'm really, really. Um, uh, I tend to interpret in. Uh, I tend to interpret uh, if people say things like that I tend to interpret that as you're essentially um, uh, it's yourself that's doing, who's doing it you made your own problems it's all because you no no you no, no listen, yeah I listen. know I know you didn't no, mean it no I know. no so, no I didn't even say that yeah I know did, did you hear me have sympathy hang on Paul did you hear me have sympathy for the, the terrible childhood you had yeah, you said it three times. Yes, at least, right? Did I say that the language you use to some degree shapes your experience of the world? Yes. Okay. Do you think that that's a false thing to say? No, I think that's fairly accurate. 
Okay, so I'm not saying that you have created your own problems at all. No, it's right? just I I have this weird um, tendency to interpret these kind of things into into other people's statements. No, let me let me give you an analogy, and it's it's a very direct analogy. So this is pretty obvious, but it's it's a good way of looking at it. So let's say that some jerk had hit your legs with a baseball bat, right? Mm-hmm. And then, seven years later, you were still in a wheelchair, right? Yeah. Now, if I said, seven years after someone had hit your legs with a baseball bat, are you doing any of the tough rehab that's necessary to get out of the wheelchair? And if you basically said, well, no, right? Yeah, I would I be saying Would I be saying that your wrecked legs are your fault? Well, you would be saying that you still being in the wheelchair is your fault. No. No, the wheelchair is not your fault. You, the wheelchair is the fault of the people who hit your legs, right? Because if they had not hit your legs, you wouldn't even be in the wheelchair to begin with and facing any of those choices, right? Yeah, indeed. And that's when what I mean when I say I hugely sympathize with your childhood. A terrible beginning. And, and the lack of support that you got from your parents and the, and, and the undermining you got from your parents with regards to your apprenticeship is terrible. And the reason that your boss could be a bad boss is because you didn't have the bond with your parents and you didn't have the support of your parents. And no one should have to invent all that stuff for themselves. I mean, you were really let down and betrayed, in my opinion, by your parents. Well, in this situation, yes, that is true. Yes, it, but this situation arrived before, because of prior events. So I'm not trying to say that your life is entirely of your own making and all the problems are in your head and there's no external cause. I'm not even remotely trying to say that. That would be a horrible injustice in the face of what you've suffered. Mm-hmm. It seems for some reason that it's still what is in my mind, what is true in my mind. Because yeah, this... of course, because when, when, no, but when people criticize you, um, uh, you turn it all on yourself so you don't have to look at your environment, right? No, but I, would, I, would, I would also say this is probably the reason why I think that I, you know, I don't deserve disability and everything because I think that's all in my head and there are no external factors that cause this. And I should be yeah. able to rise above myself. I don't even, yeah, I mean, this is, I'm sure that's a phrase that you've heard, but I mean, I don't even know what that means. Look, if somebody has shell shock, telling them to rise above themselves, what does that mean? You're supposed to levitate your ass over your eyebrows? I mean, I don't need, that stuff doesn't mean anything. I don't know what it means. It's just it has been repeated to me uh, thousands of times by my father. It's yeah, just and, one of uh, these and, and, and so you've inherited from your father a distinct lack of empiricism as to what works and what doesn't, right? I mean, has your father repeating to, to you thousands of times solved your problems? No, of course not. Of course not. He also had terrible judgment in other things and, yeah. Right. So, okay, so let me let – me, I think I've got – enough to give you 
a couple of fusillades or cannon shots of hopefully useful perspective. Okay, uh, please understand please that, uh, yeah, this is all just my opinion. Um, as you know, I'm no professional in any of these fields, but I will tell you what I think is, uh, is important. Paul, mm-hmm. no one is coming to fix you. It is going to come, I would argue, from no external source. <sighs> that hits right in the center there. Right. This is kind of like this disbelief that someone should come to save me in a way. Yes, but because someone should have come to save you. The therapist should have done a better job. But I don't know what your relationship was with the therapist, and I don't know what kind of therapy, so I'm sorry that that didn't take. But I'm telling you, without significant intervention, your life in 10 years is going to be exactly like your life today. And no one is coming to save you. I'm not coming to save you. I'm just coming to tell you that no one is coming to save you. No one is coming to give you the life that you want. No one is coming to give you the life that you feel you deserve or you feel you need. No one is coming to love you. Nobody is coming to help you out of your wheelchair. No one is coming to help you. One thing that is chillingly true about most human relations is that if you do not have utility for people, they will rarely care much about you. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, I noticed that. Now, in your current state, who do you have utility for? Pretty much no one. Right. And as a result of that, as a result of that fact, because you have utility for few people or no one, no one is coming to save you. Look, if you were about to star in a movie and you got depressed and millions of dollars were resting on whether you were not depressed, how many people do you think would be trying to help you? Well, at least all of my fans would be sending me letters probably and the producer would be – they would be probably be behind me getting therapy so that the movie would still be going on. Right. So, yeah, that would be quite the support network there. Right, except it would be basically a selfish network, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, unfortunately, you are in a position now where you have little utility to others and therefore it is a bootstrap situation. In other words, what I mean by that is you cannot expect anyone after seven years, in seven years and one day, or seven years and two days, or seven years and 2,000 days, you cannot rationally expect anyone to come and change your life. The government sure as shit isn't going to do it. One thing that happens when you go on disability, one thing that happens when you go on welfare, is you get cut off from positive change in your environment. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, who comes and really feels invested in you getting better? Now, if you were the ward of a charity, which, given your childhood and, and your experiences and your neurological challenges and so on, would be fine and perfectly honorable and a decent place to be, but the charity would be highly invested in a real fix, in really helping you, right? Because if the charity got a reputation for not helping people, fewer people would donate to that charity, right? Mm-hmm. The moment that voluntarism is taken away from charity, change and growth and healing is also taken away. Because the bureaucrats get paid and the government gets paid whether you get better or not, right? The therapists get paid whether you get better or not, right? 
Yeah, of course. And so no one is emotionally or financially invested in your life changing. Which means that if you don't change your life, Paul, it's not going to change. And you can call back to me in 10 years and hopefully I'll answer and I'll say, well, what did you do? And you'll say, well, I waited basically <laughs> for something to change. Right? And what will have happened? Well, nothing will have happened. Nothing will have happened. Yeah. These things, I, I know them on a conscious level, but for some reason, I still, it doesn't really do anything for me. I know that nothing's, no one's going to come to save me, of course. But Well, then, that, the, the choice is up to you. Right? You have this one precious gift of existence, and you can use it the way that you're using it right now. Or you can say, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and I'm going to go get five books out of the library. I don't know. People who are 25 still use libraries anymore. I don't know. I'm going to go and get five books from somewhere that are to do with um, self-knowledge, that are to do with uh, a childhood trauma, that are to do with um, the challenges I faced in the workplace, and I'm going to read through those books, and I'm really going to try and figure things out. I'm going to write out the story of my life. I'm going to write out all the major events that happened to me and all the things that I remember, because we remember everything for a reason. Every tiny memory we have is a fable waiting for us to unlock it. And uh, when I sometimes when I wake up in the morning, if I'm not thinking about a book, I'm currently planning a book, but... I sort of th sit there and say, I remember this from when I was seven. I wonder why. Mm -hmm. And you can begin that process of pursuing uh, self-knowledge and embracing your emotions. Paul, what do you do when you feel something strongly at the moment? Right now? Or in general? In general. Huh. Well, the thing is, it is very dependent if other people are around. Because even in this call, something I I can't really get myself to really say the things that I want to say and express them with the emotion that I have. But in private, I... Okay, in private, when you feel something strongly, what do you do? It, I guess it depends on the emotion. I... All right, because there are generally two choices when it comes to strong emotions. We can indulge them or we can examine them, right? So if you feel, ang if you feel let's say you feel anger or resentment, then you can let yourself swell with anger and resentment towards your boss or towards your circumstances or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with anger and resentment. They're both healthy emotions, but we can also try and find out their cause, right? You had a bad boss and you're angry and resentful towards that bad boss. I understand that. I sympathize with that. That seems to me a very healthy emotion. But the more important question is not why am I – is not what do I feel about my bad boss or even why am I angry at my bad boss. The really important question is why was a bad boss in my life to begin with? Do you understand? Yeah, I understand. And that now, that because, last question. Yeah. Yeah, because we, 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 we basically get, get hit by hailstones and we say ow, 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 ow. And we don't and say to ourselves, yeah, why the why hell am I, I standing you? out in a hailstorm? <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Bad, bad bosses don't just materialize out of nowhere. <laughs> Sorry. Bug flu. Yeah. Bad bosses don't uh, just materialize out of nowhere. 
right? They're, they're part of a general ecosystem of interaction that starts very early on in our lives. So the thing is, yeah, if I wasn't already in the mindset that this is normality pretty much, then I would have gotten another job that is yeah. pretty much Yeah, dead. you would have said, look, I have a bad boss. I need to figure out why this bad boss is in my life. And then I need to figure out how not to have a bad boss in my life. Look, I had bad bosses. I had bad bosses because I started working when I was 11 or whatever. And I had bad bosses. And then one day I was like, you know what? I'm just not doing this anymore. I, I, I've got, I, I, I worked really hard to figure it out, worked really hard to figure it out. And I had a boss who was barking at me to provide some something. And he kept coming in, barking at me to provide something. And I just stood up to him and I said, Jim, let me tell you something. When I am finished producing this thing, I will not go to the washroom. I will not pass go. I will not collect $200. I will march straight to your office and I will tell you that I have produced this thing. Trust me, I'm not going to keep you in suspense. But I will also tell you that every time you come into my office telling me to produce this thing, you're actually slowing me down. And he looked at me kind of goggle-eyed and he left. And we actually had a pretty good relationship. We played squash together. We mm. played cards together. Um, and uh, now, listen, I, that, that, that's a glib way of putting it. And I'm not trying to say, hey, go do that. Or maybe that wasn't even possible with your existing boss, right? But there are ways of, of dealing with people where you don't come from a position of fear, because if you come from a position of fear, most people have no moral standards to guide their behavior. Most people have about as much willpower as water being poured down a series of rocks. All they do is find the path of least resistance. And if you show fear to most people, you provoke sadism. And its I don't even think it's because they're like natural sadists. It's just that that's – they respond to fear – with uh, bullying, and they respond to confidence with acquiescence, right? Hmm. And it's not that the people are just terrible, bad, or out to get you, but it's sad, and it shouldn't be this way. Well, the thing is, it I am. Be this way. When you just said that, I'm not quite sure if I came across as so fearful towards them. It was oh, I, more no, like I. I, I I can't speak to that. I mean, I don't know the details of it. But if you ended up too mm -hmm. anxious to go into work and ended up in an institution, then obviously it was a pretty dysfunctional situation, right? Yeah, of course it was. And if you felt like I can't possibly get another job, and right, and again, I, I sympathize because you didn't have support at home and and you were raised in in let's just say extremely unproductive ways. Yeah, extremely but, unproductive. But what happens is if you if you if you approach the world with fear. It seems that you live surrounded by sadists. And then what happens is you say, I'm afraid because people are all sadists. They're all cruel. They're all mean. They're all cold. They're all unsympathetic, right? But the reality is that people are sadists because you're afraid. And it shouldn't be that way. People should have their own internal moral standards of how they deal with people. Well, if and they should not respond to fear. I am afraid. Yeah, Doesn't that mean that they're sadists at heart anyway? No. <laughs> no, no, because if you're confident, then they're not that way. They're not they, – they can't even commit to being sadists. That's how sad it is. 
Right. That is that is really sad. <laughs> oh God! It's just any. Oh, you know, what's the <laughs> one of the most famous lines of one of the most famous songs? Right. A Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Any way the wind blows, right? That's yeah. How people are. Any way the wind blows, they're weather vanes. We'll do everything right? we can get away with. That's yeah. pretty much that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, and which is you know, we know this. When people get into power, they just start lying and cheating, and right because they can get away yes, with now it. Now we have power; we can get away with that now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So people right. don't even usually have the spine to be nasty. They just do what they can get away with. That's the great secret to life and to confidence. People do what they can get away with. You know, tons of people over the years have charged at me. Uh, sometimes even on this show. Push back, push back, push back. And the show grows, the show continues, the show strengthens, the show reaches a rider audience. We almost doubled in YouTube views last month from 1.5 to 2.7 million. One month. Mm-hmm. That's very impressive. <laughs> well, it is. Now, if I was approaching things from a fearful standpoint, then people would say, oh, he's afraid. Well, uh, he must be afraid about something, and then they swell in power and they swell in cruelty. So, um, before we talk about anything else, um, there is really something I wanted to talk about, and I would really beat myself up if we. You have to. Happens. You have to be quick because we got to get onto another caller. But, I, I know, so but this, is, quick, this right? is why. This is why I said it now. Yeah. So the thing is this. Um, maybe um, the thing is this. I have this real problem. Yeah. Was that I, I touched on that before, that my parents, uh, essentially, I can't really uh, be any, I can't really feel any anger towards my parents for some reason, yeah? Even though I know that objectively some of these situations that I remember, and I remember them for no, a no, reason. No, 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 listen, we, sorry uh, to interrupt, we already talked about yeah, this, yeah. although it's I, hard, it, no, it's hard for you to see this because we already talked about this. Okay, please. Right, so we me. said people get away with, right? Mm-hmm. Have your parents expressed any remorse? Um, yes and no. It's always this, yeah, we did that, but... Right. And so, because your parents haven't expressed any genuine remorse, you don't feel like you have permission to get angry at them. Right? So, because because they're not showing fear, you don't feel like you have to... And I'm angry at them. Neither did my teachers, though. And I am angry at them. But you haven't done anything. The anger is futile, right? I'm not saying you should, right? The anger nope. hasn't changed anything. Yeah, but yeah, what should I do? So all you, you know, if you get angry and don't do anything, all you're doing is training your anger to impotency, right? Mm-hmm. Every time you make a wish and don't act, you make your wishes impotent, more and more impotent. I've definitely experienced that. Yeah. So the reason, like, so if you if you express fear, people often become cruel. If you do not express remorse then people in general will not um, be angry at you because they don't want to feel like their anger is impotent. And most people's anger has no moral basis. All it is is like fingers trying to find a secret catch or a secret lever to open the hidden door to your regret. And so if your parents don't express genuine sorrow and regret for how your life is turning out, which I think is appropriate for mm-hmm. them to express that. So then you feel like, oh, well, I can't really get angry at them because they're not giving me the opening. And 
maturity in adulthood arises when you your emotions are run by principles, not permission. Do you understand? Yeah. You have the right to be angry at your parents. And you do not need their permission. And you do not need their regret. And you do not need their apologies. Those things would help. But our anger, our feelings, our passions must be run by principles, not permission. Otherwise, we exist only because we're allowed to. And I, for one, could not stand that. Indeed. All right. All right. I don't make want to a take plan. A- make a plan. Make a plan to pursue self-knowledge. Make a plan to examine your thoughts. I will try. I'll make try a plan to, to find a make a plan to find possible. a great therapist. Make a plan to find a great therapist. Talk to the therapist. Be skeptical. I've got a whole show about this, so uh, for whatever it's worth, my thoughts on that. But make a plan because if nothing, if you don't change, nothing, nothing will change. So anyway, keep us posted if you can, and thank you for a, a very courageous. I, I talk. don't want to take up any more time. And thank you, okay. Steph. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, up next is Lord Jacob Rothschild. They, um, his question is, where exactly do we send the check to? Oh, you just dropped off the line. Oh, okay. Really? Lord Jacob Rothschild? <laughs> what, are we auditioning for Downton Abbey now? Okay. <laughs> up next is Luke. Luke wrote in and um, says, what does it mean to be educated? Can the trivia method provide a way to get there? <sighs> well... Why is this an important question? Well, uh, I'm not saying it's not. I just want to know why it's important to you. Well, I guess if you want to hear the inspiration for it was uh, you had a show about the dangers of either dating or being a sex worker. And you said, Mike, um, how often do we get someone who wants to come and talk about an abstract philosophical concept? I thought, well, you know, I'd like to talk about an abstract philosophical concept. So I think I'd do you in favor and call in, call in about it. Yeah, you're not answering my question there. That's why I might want to talk about it. My question was, why is this important to you? This particular oh. topic, there is an infinity of abstract topics, right? Of course. Well, I, okay, I mean, I guess, I guess it's twofold. And I mean, I, I mean, I answer your question on the second one, but I, uh, long and short was I went to see a uh, exhibit. And when I, was, when I was in Las Vegas, and I saw it was all about Leonardo da Vinci. And I saw something, you know what? What am I doing with my life? I, you know, he wasn't, very old by the time he invented a lot of things. You know, what, what did he do that was so different? How did he? How was he educated? How did he train? How to do these things to invent a lot of things to be so you know intelligent to paint well to do? How, what did he do that is different than I did? I mean, of course, I went to a you know uh, second-rate state college. I, mean, I got my degree in computer science. You know, big big. Um, Big surprise, libertarian computer science. But I, uh, I, I asked someone to ask this because I, what, where, not where did I go wrong, but you know, where didn't I? Um, I, I guess where did I go wrong? What, the, what did I do? How, what was wrong with the way I went about things? Other than you know, going to a state college and things like that. You know, what did I do that was wrong, or not the most effective, or what did I do to not? I don't want to use a platitude like reach my potential, but I, but I want to ask you, what did I, what, what did I miss, you know, through college, through um, you know, going through school? Yeah, I went to public school for my high school year, but I was homeschooled before that. 
and you know what does it mean to be educated and i'd like to talk about the trade models because i think it's a very interesting concept i've read about on the internet and you know a few other places and a lot of people talk about it differently some people put a religious twist on it some don't some people try to be really um try to grab onto it like it's such a strict thing but look is more of just a, a very interesting way to explain critical thinking and education um I, I guess, is that is that a start at least sure sure okay so i mean i'm no particular expert on the trivium but if memory serves it's uh grammar logic and rhetoric does that yes yes ring a bell <laughs> okay <laughs> and uh it comes out of uh I mean, it comes way back from from the medieval uh, university. So, so you study the components of language uh, because we are our basic tribe is language, right? That's that's really what distinguishes us from um, the other animals, particularly conceptual language. And to try and change people's minds, in general, means as you could hear me struggling with the first caller, uh, means to to re- redefine their language, right? redefine the words that uh, people use. And uh, this is why I think philosophy and self-knowledge and, you know, dare I say, mental health are kind of close uh, close together. The language that we use to describe ourselves, to describe our world, to describe the people around us is uh, is essential. Uh, it is reality. I mean, we, we live basically in uh, in language. So knowing the components of language is, is very important. Logic I mean, obviously, uh, you, you have to challenge language with logic, right? Because language can create alternative realities that uh, are penetrated by, by logic or can be challenged by logic. And rhetoric, of course, is a study of, um, of debate, of, of how, to, um, how to change people's minds, have to use, how to use language in order to convince or, or change other people's minds. So I think uh, all of that stuff is um, is all very great and useful. I mean, the, the greatest sophistry we use is almost always on ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, something like, I'm an American. Well, that's just sophistry. <laughs> I mean, what does that even mean? Um, is, it, is it an idea? Is it a place? It is, is it a birthplace? Is it, right? I mean, what is, so, I mean, people skate over the most astonishing compactness and depth of meaning as if they're just reciting a laundry list or something uh, and and so i think that those those things are, are fantastic uh, of course there's um little profit in the ruling class uh, rulers rule by language right language is the ultimate noose or propulsion of mankind and so rulers who rule by language have little in fact have have a negative incentive to teach you about language. I mean that that's not going to do them any good at all because that's teaching you the secrets of of their power, which is why when Socrates began approaching the sophists of his day and asking them what they meant by the powerful words that they used like justice and morality and virtue and truth and uh, all the goodness and they didn't actually know, they got very angry and ended up convincing Miletus to uh, bring the charge of impiety against Socrates, the charge of corrupting the youth. Well, I mean, that was the problem, right? Is that he he was uncorrupting the youth, which to the rulers is the same as corrupting the youth, right? And um, so 
I mean, an example of, of at least the way I would approach these these issues is let's look at the word uh, uh, family. Let's look at the word family. What does family mean? Does this family mean mere blood relation? Okay, well, then that's a biological description with no moral content, right? So-and-so is my brother. So-and-so is my sister. Well, these things have no moral basis, right? No moral standing. If they're merely descriptions of genetic similarities based upon breeding, right? Right. It's no more – I mean my, my sister uh, would have no more moral value than the sister of a pigeon, right? I mean it's just a mere description of biological relations. Now, if that's the case, then loyalty to family would be insane because the moment you start using loyalty, uh, you're, you're, using about, uh, you're bringing a moral quality in, right? And so if it's a mere description of uh, a biological relationship, then it has no moral content. Now, the moment you start bringing moral content into it, then you're saying that morality is somehow related to the family. In other words, biology is somehow intertwined with morality. You know, the old blood is thicker than water or whatever people say. But they're your family. But she's your mother. Right? People put all that emphasis on it because what they want to do is in the same way that people want to conflate nationalism with virtue because that means you're a hell of a lot easier to rule and you're going to give up your life for your country and go and fight the enemies of the king and all that. People are interest, very interested in taking accidents and infusing them with moral significance because then they can control you with that moral significance and pretend that it's not an accident, right? And so with family, if people say, oh, well, no, but family is virtue. Family, you've got to be loyal to family. Family are there for you. Family, okay, well, now we're starting to put moral content in, right? In which case we should be talking about morality, not family. You don't want to... You always want to make sure you separate your language very precisely. If you're talking about family, you're talking about a biological relationship. If you're talking about virtue, then you should talk about virtue and not try and somehow mix family in with virtue like it's just automatically virtuous, right? And so uh, the, the use of language is really, really important, especially when you have two overlapping circles, right? People will always try and wedge those two things together for their own convenience, right? So yeah, some people in your families are very virtuous, and uh, virtuous people all come from a family, and most of them still have families. But the two are not synonymous because there's lots of evil doing that occurs in families uh, as well. So family cannot be an automatic category of moral value because uh, then we would need no such thing as morality. If it was a perfect circle, then it's called redundant, right? Then it's just a synonym. And um, so if you have a knowledge of, of, of language and what its purpose is and what it means and, uh, and why we have different words for different things, then when someone says, well, basically, you should be loyal to your family, then you say, okay, well, wait. So you're talking about family as a biological construct. You can't have moral loyalty to a biological construct. So are you talking about virtue? Well, then let's talk about virtue. But then you have to say, if we should be loyal to virtue, which I – I think is a very defensible and, and reasonable thing to say. If we should be loyal to virtue, then we, sh we should say, I should be loyal to virtue, not I should be loyal to family. Now, it is in the interests of bad families, of abusive families, to conflate virtue with family because then they get all the benefits of uh, the concept virtue without actually having to be virtuous, right? And so, um, I mean, when people talk about loyalty to the country, it always ends up meaning obedience to the death lords and paying taxes to the endlessly greedy. And so um, that, that's sort of a basic 
trivium approach, I would assume, to, to the question of, of what is a family and what's its relationship to virtue uh, and so on. And uh, I, I think that is essential information to have. Uh, very few people even remotely get to anything close to that level of thinking. And that's pretty elementary or basic thinking, right? Somebody says, be loyal to your family. It's like, well, wait a minute. So blood? Are you talking about blood relatives or are you talking about virtue? Because those two things are very different. And that's the beginning, of course, of a a very challenging conversation in society at, at times. Uh, and I think it is important to be educated in that, to, to that degree, to know what it is that you're actually talking about when you're using language is, is very important. And most people, for most people, language is simply a, a tool of, uh, it's like the smoke grenades that they uh, pump in when they want to do something nefarious at wartime. Uh, it's simply a, a cover for, like they say, taxes rather than theft and so on. Uh, and um, they say loyalty to the country rather than obedience to your political overlords, which, you know, sounds a whole lot less noble and, in fact, is more true. And they think that somehow virtue is in the correct folding of a flag rather than the moral principles, which most people claim the flag was founded on, which are significantly more important than the stained cloth, uh, usually stained with the blood of millions. So I think uh, being educated is obviously uh, of, of great value. It's what I try and sort of bring to people who listen to this. I think the trivium is a, trivium is a, a, a very important and useful place. Uh, to to study, um, but um, uh, it only gives you the tools. It doesn't build the furniture, if that makes any sense. Well, it makes absolute sense because I, if you, uh, I think a lot of people you know, who read up on things they they still uh, you know tend towards violence or not quite exactly moral behavior. Sort of take it out of order. Like they'll they'll put uh, their conclusions first. You know, they'll put rhetoric first. And then they'll base everything off of a conclusion. It becomes circular. That's I see that a lot, especially when you're talking about government or welfare or taxes or anything. It's always they put the conclusion as a fact, and you know, you're starting with facts, you start with the grammar, and if you put it in the wrong order, you can see all sorts of just, just uh, mouth garbage, you know, just getting sp- spilled out because people either willingly or they I'll, I'll put willingly most times, you know. Deceived by playing on the idea of sounding intelligent or sounding like they know what they're talking about, but they're just you know basic, basic, simple. You're putting conclusions first before you even put any facts out there. Absolutely, like I, I see that all the time. That's why I see I see most um, like even it relates to how I first rep about you. Like I've seen you on different um, on different people. Like uh, I I think the one video was you were. You were uh, you were at a uh, a speech, and Adam Kokesh asked you a question. I'm like, wait a second, I know who that guy is. So I looked into you a little bit more, and uh, you know, I I looked into more of your uh, some of your positions, and I've heard things like, you know, Steph says this, Steph says that, and it's like, well, hold on a second, uh, I got some really status people saying this, so I'll I'll, I'll dig into what he's actually saying. And it's well, no, he's not saying anything outrageous about family or government or anything. He's not, you know, inconsistent. It's just people who say, well, he doesn't care about the poor or he doesn't care about this. They're putting the conclusion first. And then if you, if you start with, you know, a conclusion like he doesn't care about the poor, that's poison. Well, that's that's a you know, big logical fallacy when you see all this, all the sophist thing. I think the trivium has a lot of – there's a lot of parts of it that, we, that a lot of people already know about, like you know, logical fallacies and um, is the big one that everyone – likes to name off when someone's making a really bad argument. It's like, I think, uh, you know, my read on the trivia, I think it was a method to go through 
not only arguments, you know, but explanations that the way you um, you know, start from nothing, you start from zero. You know, I don't know anything, and how you get to something like people who use the scientific method. I, I think that's that's right on key with the trivium. And um, the guy, people who do, I've been looking into statistics and things lately. How if you do it correctly, you're not looking for a conclusion. You're just looking at numbers and whatever you draw out of it by picking them up, finding out what they mean, getting rid of all the bad stuff. And that's that's the trivium also. You know, litigation in courts, that's the trivium also. I think it's, it's out there a lot, but no one really puts it in a process to where you can think about how the process works and you can think later, am I doing this correctly? Yeah, I mean – I mean, I've I've seen some of that junk out there. Steph just doesn't care about the poor. What would my caring have to do with anything? I mean, the idea that people can plumb my emotional relationship with the poor and think that that somehow has a bearing on my argument is, I mean, it just to- shows you how people simply are allergic to... <laughs> putting two thoughts together that make any kind of sense. I mean, it's like if they've never seen the show House, where this, you know, Gregory House is a, he hates his patients. <laughs> you know, they're nothing more than lab rats to him. But where the hell do you want to go if you're sick? You want to go to House? He's a great doctor. Well, he doesn't care about his patients. Does he cure his patients? Right? I mean, the idea that, that you can guess someone's emotional state in perpetuity did I care about the poor when I was five? What about 10, 20, 25, 27, two years from now, 10 years from now? What does it mean to not care about the poor? Like the fact that, that like if, if someone were to try and rebut a scientific argument by saying that this guy doesn't like quiche, we would get just how complete, what a complete non sequitur that is. That's about half the argument she against, against anybody. I mean everyone that yeah, – I mean let's, let's say I don't care about the poor. So what What does it have to do with the quality of the arguments for universally preferable behavior or a stateless society or any of the economics or self-knowledge topic? What, what, what bearing does that have on anything? I mean basically that's like trying to displace Carl Sagan with a hysterical South American soap opera and think that you're still doing science. Oh, yeah. And, and people who fall for that stuff should absolutely keep doing that. They should just continue to bounce off ad hominem and and uh, logical fallacies uh, uh, plenty, and they should – because anyone who's got any brains will look at people like that and just realize how completely ridiculous they are, how they have no humility, how they have no knowledge, no depth, no education, uh, no skepticism, no capacity to think. And you know, it's like listening to a baby fart and thinking you're hearing a tuba masterpiece. And people should, should keep making that noise and keep keep drawing people over to the idiot children's table and and leave the business of thinking to people who know what they're doing. Um, so I think – I mean I think those people are doing a great service, right? I'm going to advance a completely bullshit, sophist, sophist argument and see how many people fall for it. Good. The more flies that stick to the flypaper, the fewer fly into my mouth. So go over to that flypaper and stay away from a, a real adults doing real work in the realm of human thought. Uh, so, I mean, again, they, they serve a necessary purpose and a very helpful purpose uh, in uh, keeping idiots away from thinkers.
Right. Yeah. Just, I mean, just there's like, you're talking about the um, the Jennifer Lawrence thing more recently. It's like, you know, did anyone ever think that that's like you break into someone's private stuff and taking a picture and post? That's like if you went into someone's house and took a picture of them like that. That, 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 that'd be god awful, but you know, because it's a celebrity, because it's all these things, it's a scandal instead of a well, crime. And the hysteria around that is it, it, just, ooh. Like, like you were talking, like when you were talking about that last caller, you were in the middle of talking about how, oh, how easy it might be to, um, to put like switch sides. Yeah, I mean, mm. I understood this. Like, there's so many people out there just, there's days. Uh, I mean, days isn't even a strong enough word for it, because you know, because I guess you know, if it isn't public education, it's something else. If it isn't their home life, it's something else. If it isn't uh, you know, the television, it's something else. But I think um, I guess one thing I read I read about the Trivium a little bit more to prep for this, but um, you can look at you know child development and education things in terms of the Trivium, like how. Um, you know, when children like to learn about things and think about things, they, they it's sort of the natural progression. Like people, kids are younger, they like looking through all the facts, they like looking at things like exploring. You get out the, the the what and the who and the when, all those things, the situations, and when they get a little older, you start seeing how um, all the facts they've learned about life, they start putting them together, they start learning things not based on actual observance, but but by by relationships between different facts they've come across. And by the end, by the time they get to the age, they realize they can understand a lot more. All their experience actually amounts to something they could use and speak on. And you know, I guess you call that wisdom. But I, you know, I guess the the one thing about the trivium, like you said, it's it's the tools, and you have to build the uh, the furniture. I, every every once in a while, I look around, and I see someone who has like a, they put a sort of a strictness on it, like you must do everything in this order, like you must learn things in this order. You're, you know, you you can't have young children. Thinking about logic or rhetoric at the same time, huh. by the time someone's in high school, th- like they're done learning grammar. And the trivium is a – everything I read about it, it's a, it's a process. It's something it's, – it's almost like a checklist. Like does this make sense? And sometimes when you just say something out loud that you've been thinking, you realize, oh my god, that is so retarded. Oh or, yeah, there's nothing. Nothing is more wearisome than just hearing people launch into the most windy, abstract topics without any definition of terms. Yeah, I mean that's just that's just you know people who refuse to define their terms are either reaching for your wallet or your heart valve. Uh, there's not much else that they're after. Uh, they're just hoping to baffle you with bullshit where they can't convince you with clarity. And uh, this happens uh, continually. And yeah, I mean, and definitely a study of language, uh, a study of, the, you know, when you study grammar, you're studying the definitions of words, the way the language is structured together, which means, you know, you know an architect knows when a building is not hanging properly, it's not working properly, just a glance. Uh, and then that would be fantastic. Anyway, listen, we've got to move on to the next caller. But thank you so much for uh, calling in. It's a great, great question. I will certainly mull it over some more. And I've had lots of questions about uh, the, the trivium. And uh, I think that um, they're very useful things. You can certainly, I mean, my daughter's saying, uh, what's public school and why am I not going? And we sat down. We I went through the bell curve and, and all that uh, about uh, the, the spread of intelligence uh, uh, across the planet and all that. And uh, we talked about how it's funded and, and all that. I mean, she understands. She, she gets it. She knows um, what's important. Uh, so, yeah, I know. God, I mean, I wouldn't want to teach her language later than uh, – sorry, uh, logic later than what I'm 
are doing now. So, all right, let's move on to the next caller. But thank you so much. Uh, it was a great, uh, great question. Thank you, Steph. All right. Up next is Jesse and Shannon. And some people might remember Jesse from a show a little while ago. It was called Saving a Soldier. No thanks for your service. It's the one show where Steph actually told someone what to do. Um, For those that have been wondering what that situation was when it's been referenced, it was in that call. Um, And Jesse and Shannon wanted to call in and Jesse wrote, my wife and I have come from abusive homes and are trying to be less confrontational with each other and our two-year-old twin boys. I've been working a lot on myself and um, since finding self-help and free domain radio and that kind of thing, I've been trying to pass that information on to my wife and kids, but it's difficult not to be perceived as nagging or nitpicking when she is yelling at me or the kids like her parents always yelled at her. I always have anger issues and more related baggage, as you know from the last call, which is only inflamed by our confrontations. I just want to love my best friend without feeling so adversarial. Mm, mm. Great set of questions. Great set of questions. And you're both on. Is that right? Uh, Shannon just went to drop something off outside, but she'll be back in a moment. Okay. Okay. How are you doing there, brother? I'm doing a lot better. You know, I, you really helped um, focus me on a lot of my issues last time. Um, so what you're saying is I should issue orders more often? Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> is that what? Is that is that now the new plan? Is that what we're what we're all about? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I haven't been in contact with my mom a lot lately since. Um, Based on, you know, my recollections and my, my, my kind of self-thinking, most of the problems involve her dealing with her own issues and, and not really having time or emotional capacity to, to handle, you know, me and my siblings. Um, my dad has actually changed a lot in the last few years, especially since we had the kids. Um He's drinking a lot less. He's trying to be, you know, more of a father figure than grandfather figure. So um, I'm kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt right now. But it's definitely with um, with a fair amount of skepticism. And and as I told you before, both of my parents are very far away from where Shannon and I live. So it, they're not – we were more exposed to her family um, which is its own set of issues that she can speak to when she gets back. But um, basically the purpose of my call is, um, like like I said in my, in my intro I gave to Mike, um, I've been trying to kind of um, impart all of, all of the things that you talk about to her, especially about peaceful parenting and about the bomb in the brain stuff and all that material. And... Um, She's not very interested in it, for one thing. Um, and um, and it's hard to get her to like sit down and and pay attention and listen to the to the material. And like I said, I feel like, or she she feels like I'm just kind of nagging her, and I'm just kind of, you know, always bringing things up. And it's I I thought maybe you could help break the the wall, you know, the way you do really good getting into people's past and getting people to kind of self-revelate. I don't know if that's a word, but... Um, I, I get what you're saying. That's yeah. enough. Um, 
So this is more – I'm actually glad she's not here because I can kind of openly say and she hear this later, I'm sure. But I, I really I really want her to open up, and I think that it might be easier for her to do it in a in a platform like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, we have been trying to get out and seek some therapy in the real world, but as you can imagine with twins and a not very participatory uh, extended family – it's kind of hard to to make that happen. Right, right. Um, and is it is it mostly the yelling that's the issue? Yeah, we're. It's. I mean, we we really try not to do it in front of the kids, but I mean, it's it's just every time we have a conversation or a conversation about you know something that, and it goes both ways. It's not just me talking to her; it's her talking to me as well. You know, we we identify things that we want to work on and then it ends up becoming inflamed into this like sometimes you know knockout drag out arguments and you know it, it gets way out of proportion and she actually just came back so she's here now ah shannon shannon hello yeah can you hear and she's uh fixing the baby monitor right now. Okay. It's one way, right? So babies aren't going to be woken by. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, good. Say hi. Hi. Hi, Shannon. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm well. Listen, thanks. Does this feel completely weird or what? Is this... How's it, how's it going? Wait, I'm sorry? I was just wondering, it's, does this feel like completely weird to chat like this? Or yeah, a little how bit. How are you doing with all that? Yeah, I can imagine. I appreciate that. And look, and, I mean, as you know, I'm I'm no expert. Hopefully, I could have a couple of useful questions or whatever. But I really appreciate you um, you taking the time. Have you noticed a, a change much in Jesse over the last little while? Uh, uh, a little bit. It, uh, it, it comes and goes. Right. And uh, what, was, um, what was your childhood like? Uh, mostly, for the first part, just perfectly normal. My brother is about nine years younger than me. And so, I mean, for the first nine years, I was an only child. Right. And uh, once he came around, you know, basic older child jealousy, younger child gets all the preferential treatment, and uh, he actually has a lot of issues on his own because he, uh, they, they completely parented us differently. Like, they just kind of gave up on him and never parented him at all, really. And uh, so he's, like, never had consequences for anything. Whereas, you know, I, I never got in trouble in school. I made good grades and everything because I was always, you know, afraid of the consequences. And him, he... And what were the, uh, what were the consequences? Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> I never... I was just afraid of consequences. Wait, you never experienced any negative consequences for misbehavior? Well, I mean, I never, I never acted out in school. I never, you know, had detention. I never had bad grades. None of that, so... No, but at home, what were the consequences for... I guess what your parents would call bad behavior. Um, I don't even remember. I mean, like if if I were to get punished and get something taken away, it would actually like get taken away for the whole length of time. Whereas my right. brother, you know, if they told him, "Oh, you can't do this for two weeks," like two days later, they were giving it to him. No, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been there. My mom was like, "You're grounded. Let's go to a movie." What? Yeah. What? <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. And um, his day, he's. I mean, he. He got his girlfriend pregnant at 15, and uh, nobody really did anything about it. And 
my parents actually help out with their child more than they ever have with our children. And you would be the one with twins, yes. which would be right. Okay. But he was 15, right? So yes, twins, 15. But even now, say, I mean, is, the kid right. is two and a half now and they still help out them more than they help out us. Right. Right. And um, were your parents uh, voice raisers uh, yeah. in their communication sometimes? Yeah. Wait, before I even finish that sentence, you're like, yes, yes. Well, uh, I, what do you mean? I, I don't know. Not not so much like yelling at me. Just like my, my mom always said that my dad talks like he's got a megaphone attached to his mouth. Hmm. He just like basically yells in general. And so, uh, and your your mom was she um, a yeller much at all? No, not really. All right. And spanking was there any of that? Um, not, not that I can remember. Hmm. That sounded a bit vague. Well, I mean, I, I don't really know. Like when I when Jesse and I talk about it, and I was answering that questionnaire thing, I, I was thinking about it, and I I can't. I kind of like, I don't know, I guess it's all kind of jumbled. I'm not sure what you mean by it's all kind of jumbled. Like when I was thinking about early childhood, and I mean, I, I can remember bits and pieces of certain things, but I don't, I don't really have vivid memories of certain things up until about, I don't know, 10 or 11. Really? I mean, like bit, bits and pieces. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, all memories are bits and pieces and all that, right, but, but you don't remember much before no. 10. So, uh, like, early school stuff or anything just doesn't really... You, I mean, a couple of scraps here and there, but not much? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think if you were... Like, if if you weren't spanked and then maybe once you were, I think you'd remember that, right? Because right. that would be a pretty shocking thing, right? So, if right. you don't have any memories of it, it seems unlikely that, that it happened, right? Right. Um, and I don't and, remember and of course, really spanking my brother or anything, so... They, they didn't spank your brother? No, I don't. Like I said, he never got consequences for anything, so <laughs> I really doubt it. And is it just you two? Yes. Right. Right. Um, do you have any sense of why the nine-year gap, or uh, was he a happy surprise? I don't really... Yeah. Apparently, we both were. My mom ah. was a big drinker, and... Uh, Two of the times my brother was a, we just got a new house. Let's celebrate. Oops. We got pregnant. Huh? Well, at least you had a bigger house. Yeah. So that's helpful. <laughs> so good. Good job. Yeah. They bought good the job. house in June. He was born in March. So. <laughs> got it. Got it. Now, I guess I'm going to ask a kind of abstract question. To me, it's kind of important. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure it's for you too, right? So how old are your twins again? They are. They just made it two in May. Two. Okay. So obviously, you know, they're great listeners, tidy up after themselves, share nicely. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, by two, I mean, all of those issues are completely squared away. Right. So, I mean, obviously, we're parenting after the fact here because your job is almost completely and totally done. All that's left for them is to learn how to pay their taxes. Right, right. And we're all set. Um, Definitely. <laughs> but what, um, uh, what is the job for you of, of a parent? What's your... What's your relationship? What's your goal? What's what's it all about? Well, I actually don't work, so I, I'm with them all day. 
Oh, hey, hey, young lady, do not tell me that's not work. I am a stay-at-home dad with only one, so please don't tell me. I'm going to cry right here on the wire if you try and tell me that's not no, work. No, 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 no. Don't you pray for a day job sometimes? Guys? Sometimes, anyway. yeah. Yeah, I do, sometimes. Okay. Part-time something. <laughs> Get me right. out. I've just... I've been completely disabused of that notion <laughs> just over the last five years. So, uh, okay, okay. So, um, so that that this is your job, and of course, it's you know I argue the most important job around. So, uh, so and and it's like nonstop, right? I mean, it's, they how they how are they sleeping? Um, pretty good, mostly. They uh, they have a schedule. They are currently deciding that they don't really want to stick to it, but they uh, they. Uh, I didn't... found it's very important to just tap the clock. Yeah, you know, bring a clock in, tap, and say, uh, "Sleep time, children." No, I'm just kidding. All right. Yeah, they um, <laughs> they sleep. You know, once they finally go to sleep, they sleep all night, and they take a two hour nap. And it's uh, they're they've always been really good sleepers. Right. Right. And um, so yeah. So what's uh, what's the gig? What's the? I mean, what is uh, your relationship with your kids and? What's how will you know if you've been a good parent? What's what's the measure? How will I know if I've been a good parent? I guess if they don't. Oh, how do you know at the moment if you're? I don't say at some point you know in the future, but it's a hard question. You know, see, there's an old thing for entrepreneurs, or I guess me. You can't man you you can't manage what you can't measure. You know, like how are sales this month? I don't know. Purple. <laughs> well, I don't know. Is that good or bad? Right. So for me, and you know, it's just like how do I know if I'm I don't want to sort of find out when she's 18 that I did a shitty job right I mean yeah. sorry a bad job right I mean I did that that's too late you know right um so I sort of try and set up these sort of metrics for myself where I can kind of measure you know what uh, you know whether I'm meeting sort of my goals or my values uh, as a parent so and I know it's you know hopefully it's not too weird a thing to spring on you but you know, I sure hate would hate for you guys to find out when they're 18 too right right uh, hey how did we do uh <laughs> So, yeah, what is uh, – how do you know? What, what's the metric? What's the metric? What's the goal? Uh, I don't know. I mean I guess – you know, I, I definitely want to keep them out of jail. That, that, that's good. Um, <laughs> Wait. Let me just make a note. I don't think I have that on my list. No jail. I think that's an excellent <laughs> one. Okay, good. No jail. But I just uh, – I guess I want to – I want to always have a relationship with them because, mm. I mean, now my mother and I really don't communicate, don't talk. We have, like, no relationship. And I don't want that to be what happens between my children and I. Oh, God, that's tragic. I mean, totally heartbreaking, you know, and I appreciate that more now that I'm a dad. I mean, you put so much work in for so many years and then to end up with, you know – Two calls a year. I mean, just it's horrifying, right? Right. And I mean, it's different for Jesse because his parents live out of state, whereas my parents live, you know, the next city over. It's a 10 or 15 minute drive there. And I see my mother hardly ever. Oh. And why? Um, I mean, I haven't forgotten the question about parenting, but why? Um, why not? Well, my mom and I haven't really gotten along since I was about, I don't know, 14, and it got progressively worse. And she, Well, she, sorry, but to be fair, it, it, it might have occurred earlier, but you've got kind of a blank before 10 in some ways, right? Right. 
Right. But what happened to when you were 14? Shannon, what did you do to your poor mother when you were 14? No, I'm just kidding. What, well, uh, what happened? Well, I, I know – I don't know exactly when it happened, but I was more aware of situations that were going on between my parents when I was about 13. And, I mean, they've they've been talking about divorce forever. Oh, no, really? Yeah, and they've never actually done it, which I don't know that that's better, that they actually... It's pretty hard to relax in that permanent earthquake, right? Yeah. And so they were always at each other, and it was always kind of crazy. And I guess... And at each other, like yelling at each other, I assume. Yeah, they fought all the time. Oh, gosh. I mean, they still fight all the time, and my mother is crazy. And seems crazy how everybody's world needs to revolve around her. Oh, like sort of self-absorbed, kind of narcissistic, yeah, kind of thing. Pretty much, right? She's always right. Everybody has to worry about her. Oh, so when you got to be fourteen, did you get kind of skeptical? Did you get that teenage skepticism thing going? Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was a, a normal teenage girl. I wanted to talk to the talk to boys on the phone and go out and stuff. And I guess she wasn't ready for that. And you know, keep in mind, my brother at fifteen was getting girls pregnant but um well a girl yeah and she just i don't know she they i always tell jesse i think they over parented me and just didn't parent my brother at all Hmm. well if your mom's crazy then there's not going to be any balance right well yeah and also the other thing, too, with people who think they're always right, they don't have any capacity usually to correct behavior. I mean, why would they? They're perfect, right? right <laughs> they can't yeah. correct what's perfect, right? Everything is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, That's God. right. No. Hey, where are my pants? Anyway. Um, so, and what, what did your parents fight about? Well, my dad was doing some things that he ought not to have been and i happen to stumble across it on the computer you are you are being very vague there well <laughs> you, you don't have to get into specifics but i just wanted to mention that it was <laughs> extremely vague well i i stumbled across things onto on the computer that i probably ought not to have seen at 13 or whatever and my mom found out about it and you mean like what incomplete candy crush levels uh <laughs> yes Jennifer Lawrence pictures uh, long yeah. before their time? Or... Okay. okay. Um, just like uh, emails, profiles. Oh, he was like stepping out? Um, I I don't know. I, or, I mean, I guess at that point I didn't know. I just kind of stumbled across it and was like, hey, what's this? And she found it and I guess she thought it was me. And then found out that... Wait, she him. thought what was you, that you had profiles? I... I don't know, because the way that she had found out about it was, you know, I was I was home. I was 13 or 14, whatever, and I was, you know, playing with the computer. And my brother was really young at the time, and he would always go on, like, Cartoon Network and play games. And he was trying to type in Cartoon Network and typed in A first, and, like, Adult Friend Finder popped up. Mm. And so I guess she thought it was me or something. And my dad was out of town because he used to work out of town a lot at that point. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a good combo. Yeah. Adult friend finder, and he's away from home a lot, right? Yeah. And then, you know, she called him, and or he called, and they got into it on the phone, and 
That was like the last time I remember any kind of normalcy because then it was always fighting. Wow. And and you were you were just thirteen at that time. I I I think so. Yeah, I think that was about thirteen. Wow. And do you know if he had any affairs? Wait, I'm sorry. Do I know if he had any? Do you know if he had any affairs? Um, back then, no. I I'm not sure. I don't know at what point. I know that he made commentary about how you know if she's gonna blame me for it. I might as well do it. I might as well do it. Right. Yeah, because she was like constantly nagging him about it. Always right. everything led back to it, bringing it up. Like she's one of those people who held, hold the grudge forever and doesn't ever mm. let anything go. And so right. I don't know at what point he actually did do it. I do know that he actually did do it, but I don't know how long the gap was in between. Right. And do you know how old you were when he had his affair? No, I'm not sure. That's what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not okay. sure okay. when the gap was between when it was found and when it actually happened. Why do you think they stayed together? Uh, I, who knows? Um, my brother just made 18 this year and graduated. Uh, okay. Do so you think they were just hanging in there for well, the? Uh... That was kind of the mentality that everybody in the family has had for the past couple of years because it's been, oh, yeah, well, but um, now that he is 18 and he has graduated from high school and keeps getting fired from all of his jobs for attendance problems and he's still living at home and my dad now has a very important job and he's so my brother is left at the house with my mother. Right. My dad kind of makes commentary that um, he keeps her around for my brother so that he has somewhere to be because he doesn't trust him to be, you know, in his house for four or five days a week by himself. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Right. So it's kind of... Okay. She's never going away. Right. Perpetual. And she's even made the commentary that she is perfectly fine going on with the arrangement that they have now for indefinitely because, you know, she's living in a house with basically herself and my brother who is never there because he's always off with his friends or whatever because he can't stand her either. Wait, isn't he doing some parenting from time to time? Well, some. His, some. His child... <laughs> Doesn't sound like a whole lot, but... Well, his child lives with the mother and her parents because he is on her father's health insurance and they have to be like sole custody of him kind of thing so my brother Oof. sees the child like monday wednesday and friday and then oh okay weekends but it's only like in the evenings monday wednesday friday so right. all day he's just kind of doing whatever not getting a job. wait what did jesse say not getting a job yeah well that's whatever right right all right um so he doesn't pay what child support or no he actually they were they were paying $100 a month, but then the court, they had it court ordered to stop because the insurance said that if they were getting any outside money, then they couldn't keep him on their insurance. Fantastic. Gotta love those systems. All right. Right. And then that's not uh, not the most relevant part here, but it, yeah, it's just pretty heartbreaking how all this stuff is set up to the point where uh, it's really uh, keeping your brother out. And also, I mean, who knows? Maybe he got... Um, 
maybe you got the girl pregnant partly out of a desire to keep your parents together because it certainly worked, right? Yeah. Now it's going to go on forever. All right. And uh, he needs a, probably a, a place uh, where his bills are paid too, right? So he keeps them together and then he's got a place to crash and he doesn't have to grow up. And anyway, it doesn't matter hugely, but uh, I mean, it does, but right. not at the moment to this part of the conversation. All right. So thank you. I appreciate that uh, frankness and uh, detour. But uh, okay, so success, right? I would think it's fair to say that you would not describe your parents as raving successes as parents? No. Well, I mean, overall with me, I I, I think they did an okay job. Because, I mean, like I said, I I was never a troublemaker in school. I was never, you know, failing. I was honor student, hardly missed any class, kind of. Even, you know, when I went to college, I went to two hours away and was totally on my own and, you know, still graduated uh, summa cum laude and, you know. But then my brother, yeah, they just like totally, he almost got kicked out of private school, ended up going to public school, barely made that, can't even get into college because he doesn't have the bare minimum GP. Right, right. Okay, so, I mean, uh, it sounds like you had, uh, you have a, a, a kind of personality or character that's quite conscientious and concerned with consequences. Yes. Right, so, I mean, <clears throat> some some of, you know, some of who you get, from your kids is just the way that God put them together, so to speak, right? Right. Right, okay. All right, so um, so you're talking a lot about sort of uh, external standards. Like, so every time I sort of say, will you talk about your successes or you, you talk about how your parents may have done a good job with you, right? You talk about, um, you know, I was did well in school and right these are you know, approval markers from outside. And I'm not saying they're not important, right? I, mm-hmm. They are. But um, it's sort of external markers, uh, which is not a criticism. I'm just sort of pointing that out. Is that your sort of major gauge? Like uh, they do well in school and they go to college or get a decent job or whatever. Then that's uh, that's success. No, I just – I don't know. And I'm not trying to downgrade that. I'm, like, I'm really just curious about what your metrics are. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess so. I, for for me personally, for my kids, um, I mean, you know, they don't they don't have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. I, would, would I like them to, you know, stay out of trouble, not do drugs, all of that? Yes. Would I disown them if they did get mixed up in that? No. You know, everybody everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has to, you know, learn from their past well yeah but i mean putting drugs in the category of everybody makes mistakes is well i mean i'm not talking you know not everyone i've never done drugs would i be like oh my god you're not my kids anymore no yeah yeah okay okay and what do you want their relationship with authority as it currently manifests to be right And, and the reason i'm asking that is that um I don't want to overly generalize, but in general, it's, it, it often seems that um, there's one parent who is fine with the kids being pretty skeptical towards authority. And by authority, I mean sort of currently instituted authority. I don't mean like reason and evidence and things that we should subject ourselves to or whatever, right? Gravity and <laughs> things like that. Uh, speed limits, you know. But um, – and and other uh, there's usually another parent who is uh, a bit more like oh they should really do 
you know what uh, what people tell them to and so on. They kind of want kids to fit into society as it stands. And there are other people who are more comfortable with the kids being more challenging towards that. Do you have uh, a sense where you may fall along that continuum? Uh, well, before I met Jesse, yes. <laughs> now I, I think I would fall kind of somewhere in the middle where I wouldn't say, you know, don't trust authority at all because they're all crazy and corrupt. But I wouldn't say do anything any member of authority tells you because that's what they're there for. Yeah, I mean, dentistry is useful, right? I mean, I say, yeah. Dentist says floss, then, you know, floss. Like, right. No way, man. You're just working for the fluoride people or something. Right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I, I get that. So, yeah, I mean, where people have sort of good legitimate reasons, uh, yeah, it's important to uh, – Doctor says take the pills. Generally, you know, it's a decent idea to at least consider it. So, right. okay, okay. So, uh, so I mean, if if you're going to give them, uh, or if you're going to accept them having some challenges, you know, I'm not sort of you know, set themselves on fire on the court steps or anything, but some challenges towards authority, then there's going to be, I would assume, some things that would be more helpful to them. Yeah. For that, right? Mm-hmm. And again, blind rebellion is as stupid as blind obedience, and neither of them leads any place good, in my humble opinion but um with your uh, with your sons what tools do you think they're going to need to have neither a compliant nor a rebellious relationship to authority which and i think that's sort of in the middle is is a useful place to be mm-hmm. wait i'm sorry i i, I think i missed the question i'm oh, sorry <laughs> But come on, it only took me nine minutes to get the question out, Jesse. <laughs> Try and pay attention. <laughs> Sorry, Shannon. Um, okay, so um, what tools do you think your sons are going to need to have a skeptical relationship with authority uh, without, you know, just outwardly rejecting all kinds of authority? What, what do you think they're going to need from you as a parent to have? They're probably not going to get it from their teachers, right? The teachers right. are kind of into, you know. <laughs> raise your hand if you need to pee kind of stuff, right? And again, that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but but they're probably not going to get it from their teachers. You know, they don't usually get it from priests or whatever, right? right. Uh, so if it's if skepticism towards authority is going to be part of what you want for your sons, then what do you need to do to bring that about or what tools do you need to give them so that they neither sort of obey nor rebel without thinking? I guess... I guess teach them morals as I see them and as I learn them because I mean that that's a really hard question because you know I've I've rapidly watched the state of you know the country and authority deteriorate over the past several years and so it's really hard to see where it's going to be when they get older mm. Can I – is this just for her? Can I answer this as well? No. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. Um, of course. Do, do you want to finish? To oh, okay. Okay. Um, for me, I mean it, it all – everything about the kids starts in the home, right? So for me, Shannon and I kind of legitimizing ourselves as their parents and as their um, – I guess elders or whatever, however you want to say it. Um, and for me, 
guiding them towards the knowledge versus instructing them in kind of a, you know, authoritarian teacher kind of way. Mm. Um, which I know you've talked about a lot in the past, you know, not, um, managing your children, but kind of them, you know, more helping them along. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, we want, you know, as parents, I, th- I think we, we don't want our kids to blindly rebel and we don't want them to blindly obey, which means they have to think for themselves, right? Some people in authority make really great arguments and you should do what they say. Other people in authority make really bad arguments and you should be skeptical, right? And, and the only way I think to tell the difference is really learning how to think for yourself. Now, think for yourself is three easy words, but like the, like the three easy words, I love you, there's a lot of complexity sort of behind that. And uh, for me, uh, the the, the challenge is that uh, I don't want her to to obey any authority because it's an authority, right? At the same time, I don't want her to disobey any authority because it's an authority. I I want her relation – I want my daughter's relationship to be with reason, critical thinking, reality – you know, skepticism. Yeah, if people can prove it, then, you know, great. If they can't prove it, then wait until they can kind of thing. Right. And uh, so for me, and this is not any kind of, you know, final answer or whatever, but for me, it's just really important that I, I do not present what my daughter needs to do or what I think she needs to do um, and have her do it or don't do it because I'm older or because I'm bigger or because I'm stronger or because I'm the dad or anything like that, right? I mean, I am wiser, hopefully, than a five-year-old <laughs> in some ways. In some ways, she's you know stronger than I am. But um, I, I try not to have her accept things that I need – that I say because I'm bigger or louder or stronger because that is going to teach her that big and loud and strong wins the day. That, that it has weight and it has authority, and that's going to tempt her when she wants to get her way to try those very tools called bigger and louder and stronger, right? And and that usually happens around teenage years because, you know, we get older and they just keep getting stronger, right? right? And we shrink, they grow, right? And so uh, and it was interesting to me, Shannon, when you were talking about things hit, hit uh, a challenge with your mom when you were 14. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, I don't know obviously the details of your family, but I, I, I would if, – if I guessed, right, I would guess that it had something to do with the fact that, you know, teenage years tend to be the blowback of the toddler years, right? Because right? the toddler years, you, you, two twins, you know, again, I can't even conceive, right? But but the two twins, right? I mean, the, the, this is the no phase, right? Don't yeah. want to, no, right? Yeah. And, uh, uh, and uh, how you deal with the no, in my opinion, in, in the sort of 18-month to, to 36-month phase is, is how they're going to deal with you when they become teenagers. And uh, I really have steadfastly resisted, although it I sometimes feel occasionally really boxed in my by, by a lot of my daughter's nose. You know, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Would you like to do the other? I'd like to do this. No, 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 no. I feel like I was get more boxed in. It does get frustrating. But I have uh, sort of gritted my teeth and steadfastly resisted reaching for the bigger, louder, stronger, older card. Mm-hmm. 
because I just know I'm going to get older and weaker and she's, she's going to get bigger and stronger. And I don't want to have that card played for later, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Which means like I can't um, uh, I can't I can't win unless I can make the best case. And because I, I won't resort, so to speak, to bigger, louder, older, stronger, then I, I have the real challenge of trying to make a case to a two-year-old, to a three-year-old, to a four-year-old, to a five-year-old now as to what she should do and why uh, without using the bigger, louder, stronger, <laughs> older card. Which is a real, I don't know, it, it's, I think to me, it's been the most excruciating intellectual challenge of my entire life, trying to explain why she should do something or not do something, just based upon the quality of, of what I'm able to put across. And, and that, to me, is, is my sort of gauge as a parent. Um, it's like having the nuclear option that I will never use, if that makes any sense. Um, and I'm just sort of wondering what you guys think of that. I mean, that's, I'm not saying that's any sort of perfect recipe or anything, but that's sort of where I'm coming from. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for me and, um, Shannon's given you the head nod. So I know she understands. Uh, understands is, is, is sometimes a long way from agreement, well, <laughs> which is not necessarily bad. I'm enough. just sort of pointing it fair out. Enough. But I mean, so I guess this this conversation kind of segues into the other part of the purpose of the call, which was us not falling into that between each other, the um, the bigger, stronger, louder, you know, essence of our fighting with each other. Well, you, but you can't do it with the kids if you're doing – like if you're doing it with each other, you're doing it with the kids because the kids are in the house, right? Right. Right, so you can't like, I can't sort of say, well, I'm I'm never going to muscle my daughter and then yell at my wife, right? Because then I'm giving her completely contradictory messages, right? So if you have the you know the best case wins, and nobody gets to muscle each other, intimidate or yell or or withdraw or you know withhold or you know whatever you know the 6 million bag of nasty tricks that all <laughs> married people have at their disposal um if you sort of make the commitment that says look we don't we don't use muscle in this family right we don't we don't raise voices we don't we just don't do it. we all, we all get frustrated obviously right and and my and my daughter has witnessed my wife and I having conflicts right i mean there's and we we don't yell and sometimes they're pretty you know I wouldn't say I wouldn't say intense, but emphatic. I mean, we we both feel very strongly about something, and and we we have conversations about it. We don't sort of run to another room because then it's sort of saying, well, this is something shameful and bad. And to my understanding, children are not negatively impacted by seeing conflict, right? And in fact, I think it's healthy for my daughter to see my wife and I have conflicts, which we resolve in a positive way, because I think that makes conflict less alarming, right? Less less scary. Well, that's that's where the problem comes in. We You guys muscle a little bit, right? We, we don't we muscle resolve. and then don't resolve anything. Right. Well, and usually muscle and usually, doesn't resolve anything, right? I mean, that's like saying the welfare state solves poverty, right? Muscle right. doesn't solve anything, right? I mean, usually these conflicts happen more or less after the kids are in bed. 
which I know doesn't make it any better, but a little bit. I mean, at least you know, assuming they're asleep, right? Then there certainly is some improvement there for sure. Yeah. But if it's not resolved, then you know the the ground shifts overnight in terms of parental happiness, and they're not sure why. Well, I mean, there's definitely been. Um, a fluctuating rift between Shannon and I, um, which, I mean, yeah, part of it is just the stresses of, you know, our life, me working a lot. The fact that he's at work all day dealing with stupid people and the fact that I'm here all day dealing with two-year-olds. <laughs> kind of the same thing. <laughs> Um, I work in the IT field, so... Oh, no, I know. I just right. don't know. Yeah. I know. The support <laughs> the support call rings, and you're just like, uh, you want some holy water to squirt at it or something. And I get it. Okay. Yeah, I've been in that uh, been in that situation. Okay, so... But but stress is not an answer to conflict, right? Right. Because, you know, stress can, you know... I mean, look, soldiers are under a lot of stress, right? And they end up usually being friends for life if they work it right. So stress does not does not um, that's not explain conflict, right? Yeah. I mean, you could be brothers in arms, or sisters in arms, and and so on, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, let's try again as to why there's the conflict. <laughs> I mean, because there's this ma- some people like, magic word stress. Well, that explains. I, I don't. I don't necessarily find that that explains uh, explains it. Yeah, I I don't. I mean, I you know I I guess I feel like a lot of it has to do with both of our upbringings and and my I don't know how to put it now. I had this all mapped out. No, that's because uh, you're now trying to give me some other magic word called childhood, right? No, no, no. <laughs> it's not stress. It's history. I've been right, with... but but no, but these are not causal, right? Because I mean, there are people who've had tough histories who don't, uh, right, end up in the situation. Why we fight? The cause of our of our fighting back and forth. So like, so like one of the things that I've noticed. When, when we're having these conversations or these fights is that I will I will bring something up that I I don't like that Shannon is doing you know whatever like what give me give me an example like not not folding the laundry immediately after not immediately but like within a reasonable amount of time after it comes out of the the machine or leaving a, a big black trash bag in front of the stove when I come home to cook dinner and I can't, you know, I can't get around it or, or you know, little things like that. A what but, trap? I mean, so what, what does she leave in front of the stove? A garbage bag. Oh, garbage bag in front of the stove. Okay. Got it. So, so and, we've and got laundry not being folded in the right, we got laundry not being folded in the right time frame and garbage bags. And, okay. Right. Uh, and it's, in and, and in and of itself, it's, it's, it's nothing, right? It's, it's, meaningless but so i you know we we, i bring it up and i bring it up and i bring it up and then we fight about it and then it immediately turns into a well you don't do this this and this so like anytime there's some kind of a criticism or some kind of a um 
you know, I confront her on something, it's always this a bounce back of how I'm shortcoming in some kind of way. And then it just goes back and forth and then it never and then it just rolls on into nothingness and then we just stop talking about it and go to bed and act like nothing it's happened. You. Right. Now what's the ratio of compliments to criticisms in the relationship? I don't know. Crickets. Yes you do. Oh yes you do. I think the pause the pause tells me quite a bit, right? right? No, I hear you. Okay, so what's the ratio? Hmm? Feel free to chime in here. I don't, I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm throwing you under the bus here. I'm listening. Um, I'm sorry. What was your question? <laughs> what, sorry, just, um, what is the what is the ratio? Right. So, how many compliments to criticisms occur? Is it one compliment for every criticism? Is it ten criticisms for every compliment? Ten compliments for every criticism? Just roughly, what's what's the ratio? I would say probably more like 10 criticisms to every compliment. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's not a problem. Let's move on. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) come on. I mean, you know, that's going to lead to problems, right? Right. Okay. So um, is it because you all are doing just such an absolutely terrible job that there's just nothing to compliment? Like are you currently living like under a bridge on a steady diet of government cheese uh, and, and hunting swamp rats? Uh, for for your sustenance, uh, I mean, is it is it really that terrible that everything's like there's nothing to compliment? Small brats, indeed. Uh, uh, are the children like they're alive, right? They currently, um, <laughs> right? They they get food, I assume. Uh, you know, they don't have crap running down their legs. There, you know, and and this sounds like you know, but it's hard work. I mean, right? So, you 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 currently have an income, right? Uh, and and uh, so on, right? And you not currently being stalked by zombies or right? I mean, there's there's stuff that's going well, right? That is not easy. So, so that Shannon and I got together pretty much right after she got out of college. And she only had one job out of college before she got pregnant and then has been home ever since. And I'm going to assume, of course, there's a family tradition of massive amounts of alcohol involved. Is that just kidding? Anyway, okay. That's, okay well, so, that's on my side. But um, Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, no, didn't she say that a celebration drinking? The oh, well, um, yeah, her extended family, but she's not a, she's not a drinker. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. But so my my point my point is that my I guess worldly experience, um, especially being in other countries and seeing like truly destitute situations, gives me the perspective of you know like you say, we're we're not doing that bad. Mm. But she has these aspirations, which are fine, of wanting, you know, better. We want to get a house. We live in a two-bedroom apartment right now. Um, you know, all these things, which is great. And I and I, I want more than anything in the world to give her those things. But um, kids are fighting sleep. Sorry. Um, but she's – it just – you know, I – I come home. I I cook dinner most of the time. I I clean the house a lot. I, I mess up the house a lot too. I'll admit, but um, I mean, it just seems like a lot of the fighting is like 
things that she's concerned about that I don't think it's a big deal. So I end up getting more frustrated and, and end up getting overly angry about it because I feel like it's... Well, hang on. But, but Jesse, what you've, what you've described is laundry not folded at the right amount of time and a garbage bag in front of the stove, right? And these are your complaints. Those were, I guess, poor examples, but... Well, no, they're the ones that came to mind, and that doesn't mean that you're bound by them or anything, but um, those are, um, you know, when you say, well, but she's bothered by little things and I'm not, and these are the two things that you brought up, it's a bit of a discordance from my side, right? You bring up a valid point, as you do. Um, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I don't. I, I guess I don't know how to respond to that. Oh, okay. No, that's good. No, that's no problem. Um, is, she, is Shannon still there? Or is she? Yeah, she's right. Okay, good. So I wasn't sure. Yeah, he keeps uh, like okay. locating rooms, so I'm following her around like a dog. <laughs> um, and Shannon, what um, uh, do you, do? Neither of you are particularly complimentary. Is that right? Um, on a whole, no. Right, and um. Yeah, you also like um, obviously. Your, is your ratio the same sort of? So I'm not sure what we landed at. Was it ten to one or? Yeah, I mean, maybe not ten to one, but cl- closer to ten to one than one to ten. <laughs> okay, and uh, are you the same way as well? Like are you sort of frustrated and you get kind of nitpicky and so on. Yeah, it's it's not really nitpicky. I, I guess my like big things talking about, you know, house cleanliness and everything is, you know, I'll spend time and clean the kitchen and like you said, he'll come home most of the time and cook dinner and you know, he's a man and I know it's a tendency of men to like totally obliterate the kitchen and then he just leaves it. And so I'm stuck with cleaning the kitchen all over again the next day. Yeah, no, male cooking styles are generally you put a stick of dynamite in a grocery bag. Yeah. And uh call it dinner right so stuff on the ceiling is like you don't even know how it gets there but yeah. it's there and uh, i got it yeah hanging vines of salad from the lampshades and so on right okay okay and um do you have any agreement on how this stuff should go i mean we talk about it and we agree all the time but then you know reality happens and it doesn't no 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 no, really no. that's the third non-excuse you guys have had right <laughs> right we, we, we've had stress we've had childhoods and now we have something called reality right well no i mean like we we talk about it and when we talk about it we have like you know rainbows and sunshine and then when it actually okay, happens. Okay, but, but, but what does that mean? So happen. let's take the issue of cooking, right? Mm-hmm. So with the issue of cooking, what is the abstract agreement that has been reached? Well, I mean, generally, he he cooks because, you know, I'm, I'm home with the kids. No, I got that. I got that. But but as far as cleaning up after himself with um, the cooking. There isn't one. I've repeatedly asked, you know, you, you come – if you're good – Okay, so hang on, hang on. You at least see, go as see, – See, now – now we have probably the source of a lot of conflict, which is you don't have an agreement over what happens mm-hmm. with the tidying, right? Right. So, I mean, for us generally, it's it's whoever um, whoever cooks doesn't doesn't tidy after, doesn't clean after, right? Right. Um, now, I mean, people do it different ways, right? And there's right. lots of different ways to do it and all that. But 
you need to have uh, rules, and that doesn't mean that they're inflexible or dictatorial or anything, but you need to have an agreement that you can refer to. Otherwise, you have to muscle in the moment, which is always pretty much always turns out badly, right? Yes. Okay, so if you were, you don't have to stick to it, but if you were to formulate a rule that you could both live with about the kitchen, could you could you come up with one that would be reasonable for both of you? Again, that doesn't mean sort of set in stone or anything. Right. I I think so, and, that, and that's that's what I mean by, you know, we'll talk about it and we'll we'll set up. Okay, well, this is what we're going to do. And okay, then so what what us, what's the rule about what's the rule about cleaning the kitchen? Well, I mean, we. We don't have a specific rule, but just like for example, okay. if let's have a let's have a rule about cleaning the kitchen. What would it look like? Um, don't be so messy, and if you're messy, clean up as you go. No, that's don't be so messy is not a rule, <laughs> right? Because how are you going to judge that objectively, right? Well, I know, but like you know, it's marinara spill, kryptonite. I'm sorry, leaks or whatever. Food inside the burner of the stove and just leave it there. So then the next day I go to cook and like almost set the house on fire because there's grease inside the burner that I don't know is there until I've already got it turned on. No, no, no. See, Shannon, you don't understand. That's latent man spice. Oh, that's there to add flavor to whatever you're cooking next. Jake, Jesse, am I, am I on the right ballpark here? You, uh, you're right on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so clearly this is just an, a misunderstanding of, of how men add flavor to the next meal. Got it. Uh, sometimes this involves um, right uh, microscopic spores of stuff that can pretty much kill you. But anyway, um, okay, so um, so if you, if you cook, um, then the other person has to tidy. Is that right? Could, could that be a rule? That could be a rule, yes. You, you I would, think that I would kind of rather us do it together, but that's just me. I mean, we don't. You mean don't the cooking and the cleaning? Well, I mean, either we, we we don't have a terribly big you know kitchen, but one of the things that Shannon complains about a lot is that we don't get to spend a whole lot of time together. So I think you know turning any opportunity into a time spent together would be preferable to otherwise. Uh, also, to that point, though, I mean, she's with the kids all day, so maybe her taking that time to herself while I clean the kitchen might be more preferable. I don't know. But Well, look, I think we can certainly agree that it's more fun to clean the kitchen than it is to fight, right? Yes. Because, you know, when you, when you clean the kitchen, you don't end up going to bed feeling like crap, right? Right. And it doesn't harm the marriage, right? And it, look, this is a re- this, this is sort of an important standard to have. And I'm sorry to be so pedantic and annoying, but it is something that all married couples face the challenge of, right? Which is, it's more fun to do chores than it is to fight, mm-hmm. or it's less fun. To, it's even less fun to fight than it is to do chores, right? So um, I, I think the you know with with two. With, with twin two-year-olds in the house, the idea that you can do stuff together seems to me a bit of a pipe dream. I mean, maybe it can happen sometimes, but I mean, I assume one or the other boys always needs you at some point at this age in particular, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even three to four-year-olds need their parents' attention statistically every two to three minutes at a minimum. And so the idea that you can, you know, have a chatty time tidying up the kitchen, unless you do it after the kids go to bed, it just seems that's... That's going to seem to add to more stress, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So, um, and look, if you can do it together, great, right? I mean, again, these are not these are, but you have to have guidelines about what you've agreed to. 
Otherwise, you end up having to fight the same battles over and over and over again, if that makes any sense. Like if there's no price on the menu at the restaurant, then you end up having to right. haggle every single time, right? Right. And so if you can have a way of uh, figuring out who does what, then at least you have a place to start from, right? And again, it's all subject to renegotiation and, and reexamination. But if you have uh, rules, then you have a place to start from, right? And now if you both agree to the rules, then you have to – I mean that's just to grit your teeth and kind of do a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Now obviously um, if uh, – like if it becomes like Jesse Cooks and Shannon, you, you, you clean up and you know, there's like, I don't know, flaming hamster skin on the lampshade or something, then this is – you know, something that would have to be negotiated a little bit more. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I think having the the rules uh, is is really, uh, really important, right? So, you know, a lot of families do the thing where, like, the guy does the stuff outside and the woman does more stuff inside. You know, you always hear these things like, well, women do a lot more housework. It's like, well, yeah, if you don't count things like cleaning the gutters and, and mowing the lawn and, like, all the stuff that occurs outside the house, uh, which generally – right? So whatever kind of rules – go on, right? Like I, I mow the lawn kind of thing, whatever. Right? So whatever rules are going on, you have to have that kind of stuff at least verbally agreed on and then take it for a spin and find out if it works. And it's again, it's subject to renegotiation and subject to review and all that. But um, generally conflicts arise in the absence of established agreements, if that makes any sense. Yes. And... Um, can you think of an example in your marriage where there's agreed upon rules and significant conflict? I honestly can't really think of any can you that we have actually an agreement that we actually follow? Because that, that's the thing. You know, we talk about having these agreements and then the agreements never actually happen. Well, the agreements don't happen, right? Agreements are just words. Right. It's like saying, uh, my commitment to work is going to do my job for me. It's like, nope, <laughs> that just puts you in the ballpark, right? I mean, the, the, the having the commitments and not following through on the commitments, uh, you, you only do that because I don't think you've got a visceral connection between not following through on your commitments and the fights. Like if you knew – that look, we have. If if we don't follow through these agreements, we're going to have these endless, exhausting fights, right? When we're trying to raise two rambunctious two-year-old sons, right? Like if if you get that connection, then you will get the commitment. If that makes any sense, right? I don't know if the connection is really clear. So if you knew, okay, the price of us not following this agreement is that we're going to go to bed, we're going to fight all night and go to bed angry, right? then you'd have a greater incentive to follow that commitment, right? But it's it's the gap between breaking the commitment and then the fight. If that's if, – like if the connection between the two is not clear, then the commitment will get thrown out because in a sense, it's like no consequences, right? It's like trying to get someone to quit smoking when they think smoking is good for them and you can't really do it, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So if you get that the price – of not following through on your agreements is conflict. That doesn't that raise the desire to follow through? Yeah. Yeah. She had to she had to go take care of one of the kids that won't go to sleep. So. 
No, you see, now we remember I was talking about like, oh yeah, we can clean the kitchen up together, and I was like, oh yeah, we can have a Skype chat together. It's like, well, yeah, but right. <laughs> well, normally, unfortunately, I, I I end up coming home between five and six when I come home on time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other nights like tonight where I got home just in time to sign on to the call. Um, but um. So we don't end up eating normally until 7 or 8 o'clock. So the kids are already, generally speaking, upstairs by that time, um, which is something I'd like to change because obviously I'd like to eat as a family at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and what time do you leave in the morning? Uh, I get up about 5 to work out and I'm at work between 7.30 and 8. And what time do your boys get up? They usually get up between 6.30 and 7.30. Yeah, well, I'm telling you, you know, 6.30 and 7.30, and when do they go to bed at night? About between 6.30 and 8, depending on how their nap falls. Yeah, listen, 12 or 13 hours with two-year-olds, that is a – you know this, right? Because you've got weekends and obviously holidays. Mm-hmm. But that is a long freaking day, right? It is a very long day. I mean, I love my daughter to death, but 12 hours with my daughter, I mean, I'm I'm big climbing the walls at the end of it because, you know, there's only so many uh, games of Monopoly you can play, right? <laughs> or whatever it is that we're doing, right? I mean, it, it it's it's a lot. It's a long, long day and a lot of work. And, I mean, I'm not trying to diminish what, what you're contributing as well. I mean, it's obviously there's no roof over the head without you bringing home the bacon and all that. But, uh, yeah, that is a... Uh, that is a long day. And what time do you go to bed if you get up at five? Uh, between ten and midnight usually. Oh, so you're one of these like Clinton hyperbots? Less sleep is fine with me, kind of thing. <laughs> well, I I don't I don't generally sleep very well, so. All right. Um, it's never really been an issue for me, but okay. Um, well, I mean, it is, but it's not. Anything that seems to be going away, and the army's an answer was Ambien, which, you know, doesn't really do much. Right. Good. So, um, I still am struggling with, um, though not nearly as bad as uh, before, with the drinking. Mm. Um, I've right. never, I've never gotten as bad. As the last time we talked, if you're right, yeah, that was pretty, uh, very dangerous. As I remember, that was close to not not a good situation. Um, it's it's never gotten to that level, and and we fought pretty hard last night, and um, I I don't know. I mean, I had been drinking, but I don't myself don't don't think I was it was like a, a drunk derived anger but it's a concern of Shannon's and that is motivation enough for me to try and curb it but it's I mean it's really hard when we're constantly fighting and we're constantly like she's constantly pushing my buttons that I know she knows and it's like it almost feels at times like 
it's deliberate because I like I've I've tried to explain to her when I when I'm asking you to leave me alone I really need you to leave me alone and she's like that almost like motivates her to push harder and then that causes these escalations and it causes these like you know near rage level arguments and fights with her um and it it scares me i mean i don't want to be that angry with my kid like around the kids and i don't want to be that angry with her i don't want to be that angry period and i i don't like the way it makes me feel i don't like the way it makes me act and i mean i'm just that's you know the whole reason i've kind of been devouring all your material and, and some of the other material that you uh, promote because it, it's giving me focus on that and it, it's giving me ways to, you know, work through it. But, I mean... What are your buttons that she pushes? <sighs> I mean... Just the way she'll bring up do you remember so like when she talked about how her mom always clung on to things and never let anything go Mm -hmm. that among with pretty much every other feature of her mom she has and I'll I'll point it out to her and, and she thinks I'm doing it in a way that it's like malicious but she she vehemently denies that she's anything like her mom and that I couldn't possibly know how her mom is. And I know this isn't answering her question, but it's it's something that I need to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just pointed out to her because she keeps denying that it, it happens, and I don't know how else to show her that it's happening but to point it out when it does. Um, but, I mean, so she'll constantly bring up past arguments that didn't get resolved and use them as like as if we weren't already arguing about something let's bring up this thing from 2008 or whatever it is well we weren't together in 2008 but some other time and um and then it just like she just piles on and piles on and i ask her to leave me alone like we get to the point where i know that nothing is going to get resolved we've gotten over the hump of way too angry over something that doesn't mean anything and then she just won't leave me alone. Right. And then, I, I mean, I, I, you know, it's like, like you said in the, I think in the bomb in the brain pieces, you talk about how you like, you get to a certain point in anger where you just, you can't come back from it or it's really hard to come back from it. And I'm, it's like, we constantly get to that point, or at least I get to that point, And then she doesn't understand. And she's like, I don't understand why you get so angry. And I, I mean, I don't understand it, but. And do you but do you talk about these kinds of things when you're not in a conflict already? Not to where it doesn't ultimately lead into further conflict. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean so you know, you, you can't you can't learn to fly when you're flying like you can't learn to fly when you're already behind the seat of a plane. You have to do that beforehand. And generally if there's repetitive conflict in a relationship, you have to talk about it when you're both calm and mellow. Because once you're already in fight or flight you know, particularly with your history, which I remember quite well, it's really, really tough to uh, 
uh, to, to undo that, right? Once you're already going down that path. Well, um, I mean, I've already quite nearly left many times, mm. but, but for the kids and for the fact that, you know, I'm concerned that her, the way she gets angry with them sometimes, I don't want to leave her here with them and then like taking out whatever anger she has about me leaving on them. And I don't want to leave at all because that's something, even when I was a Christian, I said, you know, divorce is never going to happen for me because my parents divorced four times each. Yeah. And it's, I've seen that and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And I don't want to put my kids through that. And me and my wife are, I mean, we are, we are, I, you know, I, I always said the reason we had twins is because we were so much alike that that was the only logical biological path our reproduction could do. Yeah, and from what I can hear, Jesse, I mean, the, the, the one thing that marriages do not seem to be able to survive is contempt. And I certainly don't hear that in what uh, – in listening to you guys talk about these issues with me and, and back and forth a little bit. I mean, frustration, upset, anger – you know, maybe some despair, but not contempt. Uh, contempt is when you just really, really just have no respect for and, and loathe the other person. And I, I don't get that I, sense. I get there. I get there. And I think she does, too, when, when we get into the heat of the argument. Well, but, but, this is, but this is what I'm saying, right? I mean, you know, if, if, if your kids pick up something, like let's say they pick up a stone that's been sitting in the sun and the stone is hot, what do they do? Put it down. They put it down. They drop it right away. Right. Right. And, and when you guys get into that, into those situations, you are driving yourself towards a split. And it's almost like you, you have to grit your teeth, count to 10, you know, go for a walk, read books on anger management, you know, all the, all the kind of stuff to just try and de-escalate that. Because you, you know what happens if you keep hitting the base of a pillar, right? Eventually it's just going to come down. Almost doesn't matter how strong the pillar is to begin with. You keep whacking that base, it's going to come down, right? Right. And I think I I make a very strong effort and it's not even that strong an effort because but I I just remember that human nature is to complain, right? Because we we all, you know, we focus on what's not working, right? Yep. And like there's that great bit by Louis CK, you know, everything's amazing. And nobody's happy, you know, which is like the Wi-Fi on the airplane. It's too slow. And it's like, are you kidding me? You can check email at 30,000 feet and you're frustrated that it's too slow. Like, because these amazing capacities are there and we generally, and it's not any kind of huge problem. I mean, if you stub your toe, you notice your toe. You don't sort of sit there and say, well, every other part of my body is not in pain, right? You say, damn, that hurts, right? So we focus on on problems. That's how we are not in the caves and we're having this conversation over this amazing technology, right? So we do all of that stuff and that's natural. But in a marriage, and I think it's true in, in all of our close relationships, in a marriage and close relationships, we thirst for praise, right? I mean, we need praise and we get worn down by negativity when we're very close to people, right? It, it just, it wears us right down. It's like taking a black and deck of sandpaper drilled to a candle, right? It just wears us down. And I think 
I mean, I know this sounds all kinds of cheesy, Jesse, but I, I really think, you know, focus on, on the positives, on, on the things that are working well. You know, you, you have a, a committed mom for your, your sons. You know, she's college educated and she's staying home and she's, you know, cleaning poop and wiping stuff off walls and doing some pretty brain dead stuff for a long day, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I assume that there's still physical attraction. I assume that there's still times when you guys are having fun and all that. But if you focus on the stuff that is positive, you'd be amazed at, at how, like I said to the first caller, we, we create the world we live in through the language that we use to describe it. I'm not, you know, as far as what one of Hamlet's friends says, uh, what, what Hamlet says to one of his friends, uh, he says, there's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And I don't think that's true. You know, you can't sort of say, yay, I stubbed my toe. But so much of our life, so much of your relationship with your wife is defined through language, through the language of praise, through the language of rules, through the language of defiance, through the language of criticism. And if you change the words, you change the marriage. I mean, it doesn't magically change the other person's personality, but if you change the words, it has a huge impact on the marriage. I don't know if you've ever had something in your life where you think this is a complete disaster, and then you think about it a different way, and it actually becomes a pretty positive thing. Just the way that we approach things mentally has a massive impact on how we experience our life as a whole. Now, you and your wife or your partner have this amazing opportunity to break the cycle of some pretty dysfunctional households, right? I mean, I'm just finding out about hers on this call, but that's a pretty significant amount of dysfunction. And of course, her challenge is her lack of memory of the first nine or 10 years. That is, that's a challenge. She's back. And I don't, oh, she's back. Yeah. Yeah. So Shannon, can you hear me? Yes. I'm sorry that you had to leave the room just we just spent the last 10 minutes figuring out that it's all your fault. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, my kids seem to think it's my fault, too. They're crying. Cause no, it's a, sh- it's, it's, it's a real shame because clearly if Jesse had left the room, I'd have totally sided with you. So that really was uh, some, some, some significant bad luck on your part. I'm very sorry about that. Obviously, you can play this back and just realize how much of a fault you really are. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, how, how are the kids, all right? Hmm? How are they? How are the kids? All right. Um, well, they're having a mental breakdown because they can't have duct tape, but uh, he seems to have calmed down now. So Can't have duct tape. Okay, I'll ask another time. Uh, oh, they have to get <laughs> duct taped into their shorts and diapers or else it's a, a streak party all night. All right. Uh, you know, I, I totally miss that phase yeah, of life. That, it's a hoot. So many laws these days. <laughs> um, so... Um, yeah, so we were just talking about um, that the j- sort of Jesse feels that he calls it button pushing, which I find uh, a challenging phrase because it, it, it seems kind of confrontational or like you're trying to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what, what does he mean by that? For you? Um, well, I'm, I'm going to tell you what he means and then I'm going to tell you my biggest problem with that whole notion. He means that I kind of find a chink in his armor and just keep digging at it and digging at it and digging at it until it pisses him off enough that he blows up. Yeah. And my biggest issue with it is that it seems like his chink moves and I'm supposed to know because I'm a mind reader where 
And what I mean by that is like one day, you know, he'll say something and he'll he'll mean something or he won't want me to do something. But then another time, a couple days later or some at some point down the line, um, the same situation may arise or something. And I'm supposed to react differently than I did the last time. And because I don't, he gets angry with me. Because in that specific situation, he wanted me to act the way that I didn't act last time, if that makes any sense. Right, right. Now, Jesse, you know that you don't actually have any right to expect her to act in any particular way, right? Right. Right? I mean, she's she's not there for your convenience, and you're not there for her convenience. And you certainly aren't there to stuff up each other's prior unhappiness and traumas and difficult childhood stuff and all that, right? You know, that can't work, right? I mean, the other, they can't be like eternal band-aids for our chest wounds, so to speak, right? And uh, the, the degree to which we, you know, if you feel hurt, right? I mean, when we're really close and, and I mean, people who aren't, I can't remember, you guys are married, are you married? Yeah, we are. You're okay, good. Yeah, that's a, so, you know, when your husband and wife, you're, you're when your husband and wife, you're literally nose to nose, right? I mean, especially in a, you know, two-bedroom apartment. I mean, you know, he craps and you flinch, right? I mean, he flushes and you're like, don't overflow, right? I mean, you, you, you're nose to nose, right? And now my experience has been that when you're nose to nose, you need a very light touch, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're that close to each other, you need a very light touch because it's, it's so big. Everything you do is so big for each other. Uh, particularly if you don't have a lot of extended family and, you know, you, kids just isolate you in general because you just spend all your time catering and dealing and all that kind of stuff, right? So when you're when you're that close, what – especially if there's noise, right, if, if you're muscle or loud or accusatory or critical or whatever, right? So I was saying to Jesse while, you, while you're gone, Shannon – the first, if you change the language, you change the marriage, and it's not like a magic healing thing. It doesn't change personality in, in any fundamental way. But if you change the language, you change the marriage. There's lots of things that you guys do that are very admirable and praiseworthy, and you need to be honest about your admiration and praise for that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy works all day, comes home and cooks, right? That's that's pretty good, right, Shannon? Right. I was saying to Jesse that. Uh, I mean, if you're spending 12 hours straight, right, if they're getting up at 7 and he's working out and heading off to work and then they're not going to bed till 7 or 8, that's 12 or 13 hours with two-year-olds. That is a long day sometimes, right? Yes. In fact, I can't think of any day where that's not a super long day, right? Right. And, Jesse, have you done a day with the boys recently? Like just you, no, Shannon? Um, yeah, uh... A whole I mean, day? Not, no. Not a whole day. A whole day. She gets to work out. She gets to go to the spa or whatever, right? But she's gone for the day. No, I... He's actually about to do a half a day on Friday because I have two doctor's appointments and something else that I have to do. So he's taking off of work. And so he's going to be with them without me from 8 to like 3 or 4. Okay. So, I mean, this can be helpful, right? Right? This 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 can be helpful. Because, you know, you know, walk a mile in the other person's shoes. Sometimes it only takes two feet, right, Right. in the other person's shoes, and it can be really helpful. Um, It's hard to, you know, I hate to be annoying stay-at-home dad guy, but it's hard for people who work to get what it's like all day with the kids. And that doesn't mean it's harder or better or worse, but it's pretty different, right? Yes. And so I think that's really, uh, really important. 
uh, to 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 sort of get like uh, you know <laughs> you know my suggestion Jesse is like every day you get home it's like you know thank you for keeping the boys alive thank you that they're happy thank you like that is a huge amount of work um, I mean it, it's you know I've I've got one right and and you, you two twins I mean that's just right that she's pouring heart body and soul in, into this venture right I mean have you ever done anything this intense Shannon no no. No, maybe like an IMAX movie on acid, but that doesn't last for 13 hours. Maybe it just feels that way or something, right? But it, it's pretty intense, right? Yes. Now, so so I think appreciation for the amount of work that's being poured into parenting I think is essential. And you'd be amazed at how many criticisms dry up when you apply more praise. And Shannon, do you compliment Jesse on the paycheck? Um, do I compliment you on your paycheck? I, I mean, I he's going she, out and working for the family, right? She you mean the fact that he goes to work all day and deals with certain yeah. people? Yes. I, I, I think. And, and oh, no, and the, okay. and the fact that he's bringing home the money that's the roof over the head and the food in your mouth, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and there, I'm, you know, I have my own history with this. So just to be upfront, you know, it's just that uh, uh, when I lived with a woman, uh, she, you know, she's like, uh, you know, well, I cooked, you know, it's like, yeah, I went to work all day. Well, why does that not? Right. That 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 sometimes and from men that I've talked to, that sometimes seems to vanish. You know, that that the money coming in is just something you take for granted. But I wouldn't want Jesse's financial contributions to be any more lost in the mix than Shannon, your amazing parenting contributions. Right. Right. And I think if you were to switch days with each other, it would be pretty instructive. And I think you'd be pretty appreciative of what the other person is doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that level of appreciation can can go a long way. You know, we we generally need at least ten positive experiences for every negative, just to balance out. And I think if you could really work to uh, to be positive and appreciate what the other person is doing, appreciation is really an amazing thing, and it's so motivating. It's so motivating. Um, I mean, I can think of times where we got a good donation right before a show, and it's like, wow, I am, yeah, I'm ripping into this. What I, this is a great, uh, you know. And and I think we all know this. That, uh, you know, a, a appreciation is so amazingly motivated. And when we feel appreciated, it's pretty hard to feel critical. Like when we feel genuinely treasured and appreciated for our contributions. And I mean, you guys with two twin boys and and not a lot of extended family. I mean, you guys are both pedaling like mad. Right. I mean, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of work. And I think that the appreciation is is pretty important uh, for that stuff because it does get lost in the mix. And I said to Jesse while you were gone, Shannon, we just generally notice the things that are going wrong. That's just natural. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, if you stub your toe, you don't sit there and say, hey, look, the rest of my body doesn't hurt at all. Right. You say, right. damn, that toe is killing me. Right. And so we do tend to gravitate towards the things that are problems. And uh, uh, it is, it's a very, very important tendency to resist in marriage, particularly when there are kids around, because there's so much that's going right that is not, I think, being discussed very much. And then, then what happens is, you know, uh, you, you, all you see is, are the problems, and then everything feels like unsolvable, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, as, yeah, so, so as far as... Um, if you do, Shannon, if you do something to upset Jesse, then 
Jesse's natural reaction, as I think is the case for all of us, is to make you want to change your behavior, right? Yes. That's completely unfair, right? If I mean, and, unless you're actually sticking a fork in his side or something, right? In which case, you probably should change your your reactions. But if, if I do something to upset people, I mean, they can certainly tell me that they're upset, mm-hmm. but they don't have the right to to demand that I change my behavior. Because what happens is, as you, you you get, don't you get progressively more claustrophobic, right? Because after a while, you just you don't know what to do anymore, right? That's not going to cause a problem, right? I because I can't see you guys. I'm not sure if it sounds like a lot of eye rolling in the voice, but I'm not entirely positive. <laughs> no, uh, no, I had a bug flying around me, just trying to. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so the, Jesse, I mean, I think that's important. If Shannon does something that makes you upset. Tell her by all means, but it is not her job to change her behavior. Right. Right? You, your emotional – because your emotional upsets could come from your history. It could come from a, a wide variety of things. could come from your service. It could come – right? And if every time you're upset, she has to change her behavior, you're basically going to end up binding her up in endless spider webs and to the point where she just is going to get so frustrated and upset and feel so hyper-controlled that you you don't want that to 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 be the outcome, right? Because this like this is a never ending process, right? Because things are going to upset you, they're going to upset me, they're going to upset Shannon. Stuff happens that is upsetting, and if we're upset, and then we say you have to change your behavior, so I'm no longer upset. Well, you're always going to be upset at some point during the day about something, and if the rule is well, now Shannon has to change her behavior, or as you say, not push your buttons, then she eventually is going to be just paralyzed and frustrated, right? And then you're going to feel like, well, why are you still pushing my buttons? Well, it's because you've got this idea that her actions determine your emotional state. But that's not true, right? Because you have the interpretation capacity in your mind or to, to think about what she's doing. And you have history, you have prior trauma and all that, right? She cannot be responsible for your emotional state, you you are responsible for your emotional state. Again, it doesn't mean she has no bearing and no impact. I'm not sort of trying to say that you're a Zen guy, nothing touches you or anything like that. But if you make it a rule that she is responsible for not upsetting you, given your history, I don't see how that's ever achievable. But it is going to create unrealistic expectations and I think an endless amount of frustration, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of that I know I was t- talking about my dad in the in the beginning, but a lot of that stems from my father, because his. I, I I remember very clearly in my childhood, his instruction, his wisdom to me was, you know, I make unilateral decisions, and anyone that wants to be in my life, that can't respect that, you know, blah 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 blah. And right, I, I'm. <laughs> This is why I wanted to call you because I needed to see this externally. Sure. And um <laughs> they look such an asshole. <laughs> no, and but it makes it's it's a natural reaction, right? If something upsets us, then we want whatever that is, right? I mean if you if you step on a thorn, you want to move your foot and take the thorn out and you change, right? So but in a marriage, I just – I can't imagine how it works that if every time I'm upset, my wife has to change her behavior. <laughs> yeah. 
And as you say, especially if it's tangential or it's something from my past or I had a bad day. I mean, if I had a bad day and I'm upset because the work was difficult, how is my wife's behavior supposed to change that? I, I still had a bad day, but now I just get to blame my wife and tell her to change, right? Right. So I think that, you know, I think that's an important habit to to break. Um, I I have buttons. Everyone has buttons. But they're my buttons. They're my responsibility. You're right. Uh, what do you think, uh, Shannon? No, I I agree. I um, actually was kind of thinking – reflecting as you guys were talking because uh i had actually asked him to to do something last night and it kind of kind of meshes with that i mean there's 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 outside factors as well i i had asked him um or told him really that i think that he needs to stop drinking just flat out mm. stop drinking, not try to, you know, handle himself and whatever. I, I told him that I think he just needs to stop drinking. And um, I don't know that it's my place to tell him that. I mean, his his drinking worries me. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, Jesse, I think it's it's fair to say that if you could snap your fingers and not drink, you'd do that, right? Yes. And I've tried. You know, it, it costs money and uh, it. it distance you emotionally from from your family and right you know that if you could uh um if you could turn that switch right i mean it's like every smoker right i mean if you if you go to a smoker and you say i'm not equating smoking to drinking or whatever but 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 if you every smoker you'd say listen if you could push a switch and never have smoked what would they say <laughs> yeah right well, and, I mean, in all fairness, I, I used to smoke pot and cigarettes, and, and she helped me break both of those habits. So, Well, and right. I'm, not, I'm not saying that, you know, I miraculously expect him to just decide one day that he's not going to drink and never pick up alcohol again, but... No, but it's it's the question of the goal, right? But what's the goal, right? I, I mean, I mean I, he, and he did. He, for, I don't know, three or four months, he just didn't drink. And then it just progressively, he just fell back into it. And I mean, now, like in one sitting in three or four hours, he'll knock back an entire six pack. Right. And you don't, you guys don't have enough quality time together that you can sponge it up with drinking, right? Right. You know, if you were both retired and it's like, well, I'm tired of talking you, talking to you for the last seven hours straight, so I'm going to have a beer. Right. But that's not the situation. Right? right. The amount of quality time that you guys can have together is extremely limited. Right. Yes. And you don't want to be clouding that up with alcohol. Right. And also, of course, you don't want alcohol to be clouding your emotional judgment, which is something that contributes to can, can really contribute to uh, to conflicts. Right. Yes. Right. And he is an angry drunk. Right. So. Uh, you know, not finding a lot of love for the alcohol here um, in my heart, uh, and it doesn't sound like in the marriage either. Uh, again, how how that is uh, solved, uh, I don't know. I'm certainly no. I don't have. I don't really have anything in particular to say about how people kick drinking. I I don't know. Um, but um, it, you, it's again. It's all it's all about the goal, right? Is is that a goal? Ideally. Right? It, you know, it would save money. It would reduce conflict. It would do lots of 
useful things, right, Jesse? If you didn't, if you just didn't drink, but you, you know, lose weight. <laughs> easier, yeah, lose weight. Easier said than done, right? Yeah, it's better for your health. It's better for your weight. It's better for your marriage. It's better for your money. It's better for your kids. I mean, right? I mean. So as far as it being a goal, I could certainly see it being an admirable goal. And as you say, you've kicked uh, pot and nicotine. Uh, again, I, I've never been much of a drinker, so I don't, really, <laughs> I don't really get the drinking thing too well. But I will say that um, if it's something ideally you would do, then I think it needs to be put on the table as a goal, if that makes any sense. I understand that. On the other hand, it can become a significant source of conflict, right? Because addictions are... How long have you been drinking for, Jesse? How long have I been drinking? Mm-hmm. I don't even know. Um, um, I can't even... I mean, I didn't really start drinking until after my first deployment. And I was only 18 or 19, 19, I guess, when I got back from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So... And not that that mattered, you know, you have a uniform, you're in a military town, most bars have that, you're old enough to fight, you're old enough to drink mentality, so. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's a pretty, uh, you know, it's a pretty potent depressant for an overstimulated nervous system, right? Which is a lot of what combat and deployments are, right? Right. So, um, so it's been a while, right? Yeah. And um, it may be, you know. I, I personally, in my opinion, I think it's something that would be useful to have on the table as a goal. Well, what do you guys think? On the table, ex- explain that. I'm I'm not sure if I'll. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what I mean is that um, there are a lot of upsides to not drinking, and other than it being an addiction, there's not a lot of downsides, right? Like, what is? It? let's say you were able to snap your fingers and just not drink. What would be the downside, Jesse? I mean, like she said, there, there are times when I can snap my fingers and not drink. And it's just progressive stress and, and just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I look at it as a tool to kind of get the edge off after work, but... Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't because, you know, it involves you in conflict with your right. your wife, right? And right. and it will right, it will involve you in conflict with your kids, right? Inevitably, yes. Yeah, in fact, I mean, probably has already had some effect, right? Yes. So there's no particular downside. I mean, other than you'll have to find a way to take the edge off from work. But there's other ways to do it than drinking, right? That aren't. Right, as destructive to health and happiness and intimacy and all that, right? Yeah, I've been I've been trying to get um, back on a steady workout routine and um, trying. Uh, my my the owner of uh, the company I work for is pretty into CrossFit and stuff like that. I'm gonna I'm trying to get into a program like that so that I can have kind of an outlet. That will help yeah. curb the uh, the alcohol. Right. So um, the reason that I say it should, should be on the table as a goal is that 
we, we do have to try and make, you know, this is again, this is a show about philosophy. So we do have to try and make things, uh, make decisions as rationally as possible, right? And so, you know, you put in the plus and the minus in the columns. And if you really can't find that many pluses and there are a huge number of minuses, then you just have to, um, you just have to change your behavior, right? I mean, how do you know that smokers should quit? Because if you say to smokers, what are the upsides of smoking? They'll say, well, it's kind of relaxing and, you know, it gives me something to do with my hands. And they say, well, what's the downsides of smoking? Well, you know, my clothes stink, my house stinks, my body stinks, I could die, you know? <laughs> I mean, just, it, it prevents me from exercising, uh, you know, whatever, right? I mean, the, the, the number of downsides to smoking is far greater than the number of upsides for smoking. And I think this is the case. Now, it's not the case with alcohol for everyone, right? I mean... I had a light beer at dinner and, uh, you know, whatever, right? So every now and then I'll uh, – particularly on a hot day, it's nothing better than a cold beer. Anyway, but so, but, but for people who have um, a problem with it, then it's not a good thing to have around, right? I understand, yeah. So on the table to, to – um, as a goal means that we ha- you, you have to try and rationally figure out whether you should be drinking, right? Now, what's the rational answer to that? No. So what that means is that the goal then has to be, look, we, we as a couple, and it is a couple, right? I mean, right? I mean, Shannon, you knew he drank when you met him, right? Yes. Right. So you chose him as a drinker, and now you want him to change, which means you cannot just lob that basketball over to him and say, good luck, right? Right. Because, you, you know, you're both part of the drinking. Because if you, you know, you choose someone who's got a particular habit, you can't then say, well, go fix that habit and back off, right? Which means that... um um, it on the table as a goal means as a goal for you as a couple, right? Right. And um, uh, so again, and I I can't give you I, mean, I try not to give much advice anyway, but uh, I certainly can't give you any advice on how to achieve that. That's the job for um, I don't know whatever experts there are in the field or whatever books you can read or whatever approach you need to take. I've generally found that I diminish bad habits by simply continuing to aim at self knowledge. Uh, it just seems to be that one big. <laughs> big boom device that uh, scares away all the crows. Uh, so um uh, that would be my suggestion. I think it's I think it's worth it's worth it's it's worth exploring the no drinking thing and and how that's achieved and and how you do it and all that I think is important. Um I do know that I think with the white knuckle stuff, you know, where you just you <laughs> you grit your teeth and you just don't buy any beer and whatever. I mean, it's not I don't know. It works for some people, I guess, uh, but uh uh, it seems like a, a pretty uh, pretty challenging thing to go through. Whether do you taper off? Do you do? I don't know, right? But uh, I certainly think that uh, it's a significant complaint, and I think it's something that's going to get get worse, not better, over time uh, if it becomes a cycle, right? Where stress of the marriage drives to drink, uh, more drink means more conflict in the marriage, which drives you. It just seems like a, something that there's not a lot of there's not a lot of exits out of that roundabout, right? Right. So. Yeah, so I mean that's sort of my major sort of thoughts. I think um, you know if you don't muscle it with the kids and just try and avoid muscling it with each other, uh, really positively praise the things that are going well, which there's a lot. And man, that's a huge job that you guys have. I mean, twins uh, in a pretty isolated environment is huge, huge, huge job. 
And there's a lot that's working really well that I think you should really appreciate uh, uh, and so on, right? It's like there's nothing that helps you appreciate your health like a brush with death or anything, right? And uh, uh, there is a lot to, to be grateful and happy about. And I think working on the praise stuff is great. I, you know, I think definitely talking about not drinking for Jesse would be a, a fantastic uh, a goal or approach. And um, I think that's most of what I had to say, at least at this particular time. How was the conversation for you guys? Good. Yeah. I mean, I missed parts of it, but... <laughs> well, we're definitely, I mean, we're definitely going to have to sit down and, and read, re-listen to the, uh, to, uh, to everything. But, it, like I said, it was really helpful to, um, Reflect. externalize everything and see it, you know, hear it, I guess, from, from you. Somebody who wasn't me. Yeah. Yeah, and listen, I mean, I, I... I really admire both of you. I think what a brave thing to do uh, to to talk about things this personal and this in this kind of venue. What a courageous thing to do. Um, and I, I was saying, Shari Shannon, while you were out, um, the one thing I think that marriages can't survive is contempt, which is when you just lose all respect for and just loathe the person. Uh, obviously, you guys have your conflicts. I'm not trying to brush that over. I didn't hear contempt. I certainly heard some despair, some desperation, some significant frustration, but I did not hear contempt, uh, which is, yay, <laughs> right? which is, I think, a really, uh, a really good sign uh, as far as, as that goes. And uh, I just want to tell you, I, I mean, given what you guys are handling uh, at a familial level, at a parental level, at a career level for you, uh, Jesse, and for you, Shannon, too, right? It's a big, big change in sort of where you were aiming, right? You know, nobody goes to college so they could raise twins, right? And, um, I mean, I think you guys are doing a pretty amazing job. In fact, an amazing job. And uh, I just wanted to just tell you just how much I really admire um, the honesty and, and forthrightness and courage that you brought to this conversation. It's, uh, you know, I have the goosebumps, uh, so <laughs> for what that's worth. Well, we really appreciate um you taking the time and um and i want to thank everybody in the room too i've been following the uh chatter in the room so they've helped in their own way and i don't want to tell you just how far you've raised the bar but for me conversations where we're not actively torturing talking about animal torture fantastic like what a uh you know i haven't <laughs> finished, really... i haven't i actually had to stop listening to that right when he started talking about the animal stuff so i gotta finish that don't don't spoiler alert no i won't spoil it well will you guys keep me posted Absolutely. Uh, and uh Absolutely. let me know how things are going and uh thanks again for calling in guys it's uh it, it's fantastic what you're doing we appreciate that okay hugs and kisses to everyone lots of praise Thank all you. right <laughs> thanks everyone and uh thanks of course for the listeners, the chat room participants, uh, Mike and the Stoyan. Uh, sorry, I don't know why I have to say that with such attitude, but it just seems to be uh, de rigueur. But um, yeah, fdrurl.com slash donate if you'd like to help out the show. All is muchly and gratefully and uh, I dare say occasionally graciously appreciated. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week. We will talk to you Saturday and um, lots of love from uh, up here in the mothership.